0: Welcome to episode 90 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on July 21st, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. Corey, how are you living, sir?
1: I am doing well, Brad. You took a... I did the NPR opening last week, and as usual, you did your quick, excited opening. It's much livelier than mine, so I'm sure you're keeping the audience awake right now.
0: Well, it's good to have a couple different flavors at our disposal. It's good to switch it up a little bit, and (laughs) I like to express my enthusiasm because I'm excited to do the show. I've been looking forward to it all week. We just got done with a killer, killer banter section. I don't know if you listen to the banter, folks, but if you are one of those people who does listen to the banter... You are in for it this week. You better strap in, no, get a cup of water, no. get some snacks. That's a good piece of banter. True, truth, truth. This is I'm like, telling the truth, aren't I, Cor?
1: This is like putting a lot of pressure on me cuz I made up most of the banter for this week. So now people are going to listen to it and they're going to be like, "Oh, this banter ain't shit," and it's going to be all my fault.
0: No, that was ju- <laughs> that was juicy shit, dude. That was juicy shit. That was some good soul-searching, honest human expression discussion emotion examination that was good stuff if you're a banter fan you're going to be in for a ride this week also we do have an extra 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 little bonus part at the very end my son Whitaker uh has recorded another game review and he also has some recommendations for games for other kids to play that comes courtesy of a request from Michael London in Sweden thank you very much Michael also apologies for taking forever to get that done But it is done. It is here. It's going to be at the end of the show, after the regular show, after the banter. It's at the very, very, very tail end of the show. So stick around for that if you are a fan of my son Whitaker. He's got some funny stuff to say. But otherwise, we are going to get right to it. Corey, this week, you are covering the Spectrum Retreat. I don't know almost anything. (laughs) Wait, no, that's wrong. I don't know. Wait, (laughs) English is tough. I don't know anything about this game uh, at all, except for it's some kind of a puzzly walking sim, got robots, something, something, something sort of a game. So please, sir, tell us The Spectrum Retreat. What is it all about?
1: All right. So, okay. So The Spectrum Retreat. This game, I had seen it on Steam, kind of like... Browsing, because as I've mentioned on the show before, I love to look through Walking Sims, and this your is like, browser, your browser, your browser. I mean, I'm always up, and this happens often, and I'm how ha- I'm happy about it. It happens often where I find some like Walking Sim game that I've never heard of. I buy it, I play it, I love it. I talk about on the show like the Pains Creek Killings that I talked about twice, uh, North that I talked about. Um, it's happened several times over. And luckily, um, you had a review code for this game. The developers slash publisher had sent out review codes for this game. And it's something that I'd had my eye on. I was a little concerned that it might be too puzzle heavy for me, um, but I would rather get the developer's code and try it that way because I don't have to pay for it. Um, I don't care if that sounds selfish or not. Um, I'd rather not pay for a game that I'm hesitant about. Um, So I took the review code And if you had to guess how the scenario played out, Brad, what would you guess happened here?
0: Well, okay, so I don't I know your your game preferences. I know how you roll, but I don't know anything about this game. So, I mean, looking at it, it seems like it would be a Corey kind of a game, but that's just based off of like looking at maybe like two screenshots and like a one sentence synopsis (laughs) of what the game is i mean it could totally go either way but i haven't heard you talk about it at all on twitter or if you did i missed it so it's really like 50 50 i'm gonna say that it's probably not good
1: okay here we go so
0: (laughs) oh shit here we go
1: (laughs) this game is uh, let me set up the preface because i haven't even said like what this game is about yet i should have have done that
0: first the bare bones, what, what's going down?
1: Okay, so the premise of the game I actually like a lot. So you, it's first person, it's kind of like a narrative adventure or puzzle game. You wake up in this kind of like fancy hotel, there's a knock on the door of your hotel room, you walk over to the door, you open the door, and it's like this robot dude, and the robots actually look very similar to the ones from The Fall, kind of, where it's like they have a static face but they have like a speaker where their mouth is and the speaker kind of like lights up whenever they talk so i thought that was interesting but the uh, the robots have kind of like a tuxedo looking outfit on like they're like hotel concierge basically and they have like a, like a funny little tuxedo looking outfit on but their arms are like little kind of like bare bones mechanical black arms and they're very charming looking um you open the door the the butler or whoever it is outside the the hotel room says something about like oh, like, I'm sorry to wake you, but it's time for your breakfast. Um, You know, we'll meet, you. we have your meal ready in the restaurant downstairs. Uh, Please come down whenever you're ready. Something like that. Um, You pick up, you have a phone in the corner of the room. The phone looks kind of like a disc. It doesn't really look like a phone. Instead of it being a rectangle, it's basically a circle, um, but that's fine. It doesn't really make a difference. So it's kind of has this premise where, like, it's something that I like in games where like you immediately start and you don't, you don't know what the fuck's going on, but it's like intriguing enough for you to want to keep playing along. And cause like, there's something that seems not quite right about this hotel. Cause you're the only real person in it. I mean, I'm assuming your character is a real person. The game hasn't said either way. And you walk down to the, to the front desk, you walk to the restaurant. There's like a hostess in front. She's also a robot. And she kind of says like, Oh, your usual table's ready. It's in the back. You sit down, you eat your meal and then after you're done eating your meal, your phone rings, and it's another, I'm presuming, a human woman on the other end of the line. And she's like, says something about like, hey, we're going to get you out of there. Um, you know, you're stuck in this um, in this like system. We have a way to get you out, but you have to, we can only give you as, we don't want to overload you with information, so we're only going to feed you as much information as you need to know. In order to get out, and so the pre- the whole premise of the game is basically you're stuck in some kind of I think it's like a VR kind of thing. You're stuck- simulation or something. Yeah, sure, sure. you're like stuck in like a simulation of this fancy hotel that was built by this like software company, and. Uh, they're kind of like holding you prisoner in it in a way and the robots are there and they're not like abusing you or like you know like capturing you or locking you in your room or anything but you have to play along um like with them because if the robots sense that anything is out of order um the game leads you to believe that they'll like do something and that hasn't happened yet so I don't know if they like attack you or something I can't imagine that would happen but you have to like be subtle about the way you're going about your day but you get to a point where you find these doors in the hotels that have a keypad next to them. Um, You have to search for the keypad clue somewhere in the area. They're really easy to find, which is good news. You put the keypad number in, and then it sends you to this, like, it's called like an authentication chamber and it's basically, we're going to come back around to this topic again this week. It's basically like, like a portal test chamber thing. So I knew
0: you were going to say that. (laughs) Uh, Portal
1: again. So portal alike. Yeah. So you get, and, and I mean, it's, it's similar because I talked about the Turing test last week. And it's, I mean, it's very similar. Like, you're, you're in this cool hotel. You kind of don't know what's going on. It reminds me a lot. I talked about this game a long time ago on the show. Uh, the game Ether One, which is another walking sim. It reminds yeah, me a little I bit remember of that, that. Because you're, like, trapped in a simulation. You have this, like, operator on the outside who's, like, feeding you info and trying to lead you down the right path to get out of there. I love Ether One. I don't think a lot of people have played it. I think it's absolutely magnificent. So... Um, you know, heads up on that game if you're interested in a good uh, walking sim that's similar to Mist, in my opinion. Um, love Ether One, but uh, but the Spectrum Retreat, like you get to these rooms and you go through these like authentication puzzles and it's basically like the rooms kind of look like test chambers. They're like kind of black and pristine and kind of grayscale looking and you know, well-designed and whatnot. But the point of them is that there are these big, there's like gates you have to get through these kind of like uh, holographic looking or like hologram kind of gates you have your phone in front of you, and there's different colored cubes in the area. At first, it's oh just god,
0: colored cubes, oh, colored Jesus. cubes, yeah, colored cubes. First,
1: the first time, it's just white cubes and red cubes, and so you have to like use your phone to like absorb. You like swap the cube colors. Like if there's a red cube, and you have, and your phone is lit up white, you can like click on the red cube, and your phone will turn red. And so you like, wait, and wait. then
0: it, you don't you don't take a selfie with a cube, do you? Because that no, would be no, kind of no, cool. No, 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 no. Oh, that's
1: a bummer. Absolutely, that would be not. nice if you did that. Uh, I would like. That. <laughs> developers get on that (laughs) um so you like absorb the color and you like swap the color out on the cube and then if you have like your phone is lit up red then you can pass through red gates and so what ends up happening is you have to like set up the area to make sure that all the cubes are in the right spots because eventually you'll get to a spot where there's like a white um you know like a white gate a red gate a white gate but there will be kind of like a window between all the gates or there'll be like something above where you can see above you and you have to make sure that you like make sure the cube above you is red so when you pass through the white gate you can absorb the red color get through the red gate and like stuff like that yeah. And yeah, yeah so yeah. for the first uh. like the first authentication session it was like five puzzles and obviously it's like easing you into the game and i never got like really super stumped or anything Um, but I could already kind of tell like, okay, maybe this isn't like, this isn't really going to be up my alley. And the reason why I wanted to play this game was because when I looked on like the store page for it on Steam, there were a lot of blurbs that were like saying stuff like, oh, this game has a really strong narrative focus. It gets you really pulled in with the story at the beginning. And it really, it's not just like a puzzle game for puzzle's sake. Like it has a really strong narrative focus. And that's totally up my alley because the problem I come to with these games, this is kind of what I discussed last week with the Turing test, is that you never know like what percent walking sim it's going to be and what percent just like straight up puzzle game it's going to be. And I prefer more walking sim. I don't like just puzzle games for puzzle's sake. And so I got through the first like five uh you basically go through like five puzzle rooms and then it kind of ejects you you go back out into the hotel. And then whenever you get back out of the hotel, it kind of turns into like, you know, walking sim kind of area. And you have to like explore a different area of the hotel. The objective is to get through every time you go through an authentication puzzle area. You can take the elevator up to the next floor of the hotel, and then there's like an authentication puzzle somewhere in that floor, and then you take it up to another floor. I think there's like four floors, and then you get to the roof, and I'm guessing the roof is where like the game ends. Like you get out, and somehow they can extract you or something. Um, And whenever you get to the authentication rooms, it kind of tells you on your phone, like when you get there, how many puzzle rooms are gonna be ahead of you. And the first one, it's just like five. And I was like, okay, like that's not a big deal, there's like five rooms. So I was able to do it, and then whenever I got to the second floor and got to the second authentication room, they started bringing green cubes in. So now you have white cubes, you have red cubes, and you have green cubes. So obviously the game, the puzzles are going to get more difficult the more you play the game, and they're going to probably introduce, I don't know, like a blue cube or a yellow cube or something. I'm sure there's more colors down the line that they're going to introduce. But I got through about three of the second floor puzzle rooms and then like whenever I got to the next puzzle room and he like holds his phone up I saw that there were like I instead of being five puzzle rooms this time there were like 10 or something and I at that point I was just like you know like I appreciate what this game is doing and the the plot is like honest to goodness it is intriguing like I want to know what's going on with this hotel and I want to know that like the lady who's your operator who's doing the voice acting over the phone she's phenomenal like I, don't, I, can't, I haven't looked up who she is, but she's a great voice actress because she sounds like frenzied and scared. And she's explaining things to you in a really good way that seems very real. Like the script is well written for her. But I don't like these kind of games where it's like you have 10 minutes of narrative and then you have 30 minutes of puzzle solving with no narrative in the puzzle solving at all. And that's totally what this game is. It's just like, Here's the narrative part, and then oh here's yeah, the puzzle part yeah. and i I want them to be more intertwined, and I want the narrative to hold totally, bigger stakes totally. in the story so unfortunately um I'm probably going to be writing a this is not a review on game critics for this because i don't I don't see myself finishing this. I think it's probably a well designed game if you're into this kind of puzzle situation, but I need more than just you know, the two sides of the coin, the narrative side and the puzzle side to keep me going. And I'm not, I mean, I've said it a million times on the show, I'm not that into puzzle games. So I probably won't go back to this game. Um, But if it's uh, like, you know, by all means, if it sounds up your alley or if you're into this kind of puzzle game situation, if you're listening to the show, like I think it's probably a really well-designed game. I just don't, like, I was really hoping that the, the front store page of Steam would not lead me astray because so many blurbs were talking about how it has a strong narrative focus. And they're not lying because the first 15 minutes of it is a really strong narrative focus. But then once you get into the puzzle rooms, it back and forths so much that I just lost interest and I don't have the patience for the kind of puzzles that it's dishing out. So unfortunately, I am throwing in the towel on this game.
0: I mean that makes sense. Uh, doing doing the the integration of story with puzzle is really difficult. Uh, I you know I mean I I don't I do not think it's easy, but I think it is necessary for a game like this. Um, I think that's really what Portal did better than basically almost anybody else, um, because you're in the test chambers, but those test chambers are also your world, and when you start subverting the test chambers, you're also moving the story forward. So that was a very very clever thing that Portal did, that people don't really necessarily given enough credit for. Like they kind of, oh, the portals, that was so cool. And it was cool, but that's not the only trick that game did. Like there was a lot of really sophisticated narrative um, going on that was not overt narrative. Um, the same thing with the Talos principle that we talked about last week. Um, puzzle room, same situation. But again, those puzzles are directly tied into the story because what you're doing actually affects your progression through the story. And when you start to see the puzzles placed in the world at large, it makes sense in a way that is more sophisticated than just get through this to see the next story chunk. But if a, if a game falls back on the whole, like you were saying, like, here's your story bit, see that little cutscene, then you go do these totally separate puzzles for all and come back and be rewarded with another piece of story. That's That's not great. I mean, it can be okay, I guess, but we've already seen so many excellent examples in the genre. It's kind of hard to go back on something that just doesn't really reach for the same thing. So I don't blame you at all. I mean, I'm already kind of I'm already kind of like biased against these kind of games because I feel like I've played the best ones already. So I don't want to play any that are not as good. And I'm having a hard time imagining somebody doing the exact same thing and also doing it better. Like I think someone needs to branch out in a different direction. And for some reason, people are locked into that portal mode. They just cannot (laughs) break out of it. So I don't blame you and feel free to do a, this is not a review. Um, if you want to, that's totally fine. Um, I was curious about this one, but based on what you've told me, it doesn't sound like something that is going to be worth me investing in. I'm probably going to give this a pass. I mean, like you said, this seems like a, like a referral for people who are already inclined to like this. Do you think anybody coming in off the street would just kind of like this? Or you probably have to already like these kind of games.
1: I mean, unless you already are like into just like test chamber puzzle type games, this probably won't be for you. Like, I wish I could just, th- this would probably cut out like 70% of the game, but I wish they had an option to just like subvert all the puzzles entirely and I could just play through the walking sim parts yeah, and like see where yeah. the story is going. Because the story is interesting, but not interesting enough for me to spend, you know, that much time doing these uh, these puzzle rooms that I just oh don't God. feel good about.
0: Fucking colored blocks can fuck right <laughs> off. I'm so tired of them. Although actually you just coined a new phrase. These from now on, this genre is the test chamber genre. Mm, so okay. whenever we get more of these games and we are, we are going to get more of these <laughs> test chamber genre. That's what we're doing. We just, you just coined it right here. That is a Corey Motley original. You heard it here, folks. Uh, first, Corey Motley <laughs> coined test chamber genre. Any further thoughts or
1: should we move on? Uh, I'm ready to move on.
0: Okay, cool. I meant to talk about this game last week. I didn't talk about it last week. Talking about it now. Jurassic Park Evolution. This is a tie... It's not necessarily a specific tie-in to the recent Jurassic Park movie, but it is a themed property. So people who like Jurassic Park will have something to spend their money on. Uh, This is a park simulator where you play... I mean, it's kind of like a god game where you are not a character, but you're up above the whole thing and you are moving a cursor around to, you know, you set up a fence over here, you set up a lab over here, you terraform a little bit by planting trees or getting rid of trees, or, you know, you can move the environment to a limited degree, and then you um, try to plan to make the most successful Jurassic Park possible by having tourists come in. You set up, like, a fast food stand and a t-shirt stand, (laughs) and, you know, you try to direct the flow of traffic a little bit, so you get people walking around and spending money, and then the game will tell you how much money people are spending and how much you're spending and, you know, a little profit loss kind of a thing. So it's one of those simulators. I don't generally play these games. I don't usually find a lot of entertainment or value in them, but I am a fan of Jurassic Park or just really just more of dinosaurs in general. And the thought of having a dinosaur theme park was kind of exciting to me, um, as opposed to something like a roller coaster park or a regular theme park or something is kind of I, not not my jam. So the dinos got me in and started to play this. I got a little bit, uh, into it and I got to say so far from what I've seen, fairly solid. Um, but honestly, my biggest draw was the dinos. And once you get into the dinos, it's kind of okay, but there's a lot of bullshit to kind of get through. Um, I, and I don't know how this is going to land with other people, because if you're a person like me who just wants the dinosaurs or to do something, you know, just to mess around with them a little bit you do not have the sandbox mode open from the beginning. There is a sandbox mode where you don't need to worry about profit and loss. You can just set things around, but you have to make it a certain portion into the game. I did not make it that far. And I was kind of bummed that that was not unlocked from the start. That was a bad move because I probably would have enjoyed this more if I could just play it sandbox from the start. Uh, Also, just kind of, I'm just not really interested or I don't really have the patience for the kind of stuff that I think this game wants you to do. Like, I don't really want to, like, I want to just erect a building and have it work. I don't want to have to set up, like, a power plant that's nearby and then set up the electric um, cables that go from the power plant to the substation to the store that I just erected. This is like
1: SimCity all over again. Yeah.
0: I mean, basically, I mean, I'm not really a SimCity fan. I haven't spent a lot of time with any of these genres. So it's like, to me, there was, like, a lot of, like, minutia that I just didn't give a fuck about. And oh, I was like, I don't minutia. want to do this. Like, I just, oh, oh, super minutiae. That's a minutia. good word. That's a good word. Oh, my God. Thank you for oh, my God. It. You bet. It's my pleasure, <laughs> uh, or my displeasure, perhaps. But like, you know, you set up a fence, and it's like you gotta like get the fence to agree with the terrain. And sometimes, if you want to swap the fence out for different, like it's just like a lot of busy work. And I'm just like, ah, is this is this what people like? Because I don't know, like I don't play the genre enough. <laughs> it just was really fucking. I I was not spending enough time building the park the way I wanted. I was just like oh, there's trees here. I got to knock down these trees. Okay. Knock down these trees. Oh, there's water. I got to fill in the water. Okay. Get the fence over here. Oh, this fence doesn't go here because there's a bump in the ground. Okay. You know, bulldoze this down, then put the fence down, then get this thing around here. And then, okay, wait, wait, these people aren't walking the right way. And then, okay. Oh shit. There's not enough power cables to go over here. Okay. Build another power plant. Get the substation. Connect. I'm like, fuck. I don't want to do any of that stuff. Like it's boring. It's really boring. Um, I, and I, and again, again, folks. Please don't don't think that I'm just hating on this game. I mean, this could totally be like the best sim game ever. But like, I don't play these games often, and I don't think that I'm a customer. I just came in on the dinosaur ticket, so like, I'm here for the dinos. <laughs> so that's the lens I'm looking through. Please don't email me and say I don't know anything about the, the sim genre. I admit that I am in no way saying I'm a sim expert at all. I'm a sim noob. Um, just giving my quick impressions on this. So I mean, I set up the first park, got things rolling, and it was okay, but. I noticed that, I mean, also kind of along the same lines of me being a noob is like, they didn't give me very much instruction. So I felt like they kind of assumed I would know how this game worked before I played it. And that is just not true. Um, they tell you, oh, okay, set up a dinosaur hatching lab over here. Okay, fine. Hatch a dinosaur like this. Okay, cool. And then like once things are rolling, like that's it. I mean, I wasn't aware that I needed to set up like a dinosaur feeding station, which I guess is totally obvious to people who have played these games before, but it wasn't obvious to me. I needed to make sure there was enough water in the cage, which I didn't think about. There was like, I mean, I wasn't really sure how the electrical system worked and I wasn't sure why that was a thing. And, you know, there was like, there's all these little things where I'm like, what am I, why am I, what am I doing? What's the next (laughs) thing I'm supposed to do? Like, I don't, I really needed like a very, very thorough tutorial because I mean, I can't even tell you the last time I played a game like this. And I really felt like they thought I knew what I was doing from the get go, which is just not true. So that was a little bit of a problem. But I, I, you know, powered through, I kind of figured things out, I fucked things up a couple times, fixed them. I mean, the first island is pretty easy, nothing really bad happens, and so it doesn't take a lot of effort to get your profit margin up, and I had some money to play with, and so I was kind of building things, and that was okay. Um, But then I got to the second island, and I'm like, I'm just doing it again. Like, it didn't really seem that different, and... Honestly, like I wasn't really up for having my island be destroyed by a hurricane and then rebuilding like the thought of like building something and then having it wrecked and then building it again does not excite me. I mean, maybe people like that. I know that there's disasters in these games usually or people, you know, maybe coping with that disaster is part of the gameplay for some people. and That's totally fine. But that is not my jam. Like once I build something, I just wanted to stay there forever and I don't want to have to deal with disasters and none of that shit. So maybe I am just not a fan of the genre, which is totally fine. I don't imagine that it will play very many more of these. Uh, But I got to the second island and I'm like, oh, I got to set up a a storm protection center because storms are coming through and that sounds like a hassle. And oh no, my dinosaur got out and he's eating people. Okay, that's kind of a hassle. (laughs) Like that, I mean, it's just, it's a cool idea. And I think it, like the graphically, it looks really cool. Dinosaurs are cool. Um, But I just couldn't find a real hook to the gameplay. Like I I just kind of wanted to play with it more as in the sandbox mode. And I didn't really want to have to like worry about, oh, are these customers happy? Oh, or is there, is there not a fast food on the island? Oh, is there not a good mix of predators versus herbivores? Like I just, I kind of just didn't care. So maybe I'm just not the person to play this game. So I got to the second island and I just was kind of doing the same thing over and over. And I was like, okay, I'm done. So I think that if you like sim games, and you like dinosaurs, I mean, I didn't see anything that was really wrong with this game. I just think it was not my jam, which is fine, um, because people are, you know, not every game is right for every person. Um, and the dinosaurs were not enough to get me over the hump of, like, sim minutia and money management and checking out spreadsheets. Like, that is just not my kind of gameplay. If that is your gameplay, I think this is probably worth a look. For me, not enough to get me into it like I just I looked at the dinosaurs thought it was cool and then I was kind of done so didn't get very far probably not going to come back to it uh but I think it's neat that this game exists and uh you know I had fun with it for a couple hours and that was that was enough I was good so any questions any thoughts any any curiosities about Jurassic Park Evolution Corey
1: I all I can think about right now is whenever I was younger, my brother played. He likes playing SimCity and just The Sims a lot on PC. And we're talking back in like probably like two thousand, roughly like early two thousands. And he was the kind of person who would like build a city in SimCity, and then he would manually make natural disasters happen just so he could like watch. cities like burn and like tornado and disintegrate and he would build houses in the sims and he would do he would like be that guy that would like lock people in a room with an oven with no door to get out and like hope that they would like light the room on fire and like burn down the house or something so I feel like if I got my hand I mean I'm not I didn't play the games like that but this seems like the kind of game where you could just like unleash the dinosaurs and let them wreak havoc is there like and, like, is that, like, a? I guess, what am I trying to say here? Like, a thing that could lure people in in a certain way? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like,
0: once you get your park set up and you've got a couple T-Rexes running around or, like, when you have the, the carnivores running around, um, you can totally, like, open the gates and let them out and they'll, like, go and start eating people and they'll start <laughs> wrecking shit. So, like, if you want to do that, like, you can totally do that. And I probably would have done that if I was, like, straight into sandbox mode. But I was, like... I was kind of too concerned about fucking myself over because at that point I was still thinking I would like make more progress. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to eat a bunch of people because then they're (laughs) going to sue me and I'm going to lose a bunch of money. And then I'm gonna have to rebuild that dino again. Cause making the dinosaurs real expensive. And like, I mean, why would I fuck myself over like that? Um, but if it was sandbox, I probably would have done it. But yes, if you want to let those monsters loose on the Island and, and watch them chomp people, you can totally do that. (laughs) I mean, storms will come through. Like, I mean, shit will go down, like stuff will happen. And if that's your jam, you know you can do that. But uh, for me, that doesn't sound fun. I've never been a Sims fan. I don't get into doing that kind of stuff. It's just I mean, not like it's bad, not criticizing. it. It's just it's
1: not for me. So that's, you know, that's where I'm coming from. Gotcha. Much like how test chamber genre puzzles are not for me. Oh, man. Jesus Christ. OK, <laughs>
0: moving on from Jurassic Park Evolution. I am extremely, extremely curious to hear you talk about The Long Dark. And I'll tell you why, because I've heard about this game for fucking ever today. a day heard many many people talk about it i know all about it i think dan Weissenberger has reviewed it at least once possibly twice at game critics so i'm pretty familiar with it and i went to psn yesterday and they're having a flash sale this weekend i don't think it'll be still going on by the time the show goes up but anyway and i'm like oh the long dark it's on sale it was for like 11 bucks and i like i clicked on it put it in my cart and then i went to go buy it and i'm like hmm Pause, and I'm like, you know, am I really gonna want to play this? I think I want to buy it just because I've heard about it so many times, but I'm not convinced it's my thing. So when you when you put that on the script, I was like, oh, perfect fucking timing. I'm like, I'm gonna hear what Corey says, and then I shall decide to do with my with my eleven dollars. So Corey, please tell us about the Long Dark, what it is, your history with it, what happened, what's what's the deal with the Long Dark?
1: Okay, well, first and foremost, I I owe. I'm just going to like own up to it right now and just say that I kind of owe this game a little bit of an, an apology before I even start talking about it. Because what happened here was um friend of the show, Joshua Jackson, who, by Joshua the way, Jackson, what's up? told me that I can just call him Josh from now on on the show, even though I told him. No, that... no, 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 no. <laughs> he is Joshua Jackson. That is who he is. We are not going to be calling him Josh. No, <laughs> that is not happening. That's what I, he tweeted that at me the other day and that's what I told him. I was like, but his name is just a name that sounds right when you say the whole thing. Like you can't just say Josh. It has to be Joshua Jackson. The it's whole got thing.
0: a good cadence. It's got a good balance and rhythm to it. You can't, Josh Jackson? No, 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 no. Yes. Joshua Jackson. I would that's like how to shake
1: his parents' na- or his parents' hands and say good job on naming your child. Um, exactly, yes. But he, he bought this for me on uh, during st- the Steam sale that happened a few weeks ago. He also bought me the Turing Test, which I talked about last week, and yes, yes, yes. Um. So, so first, first and foremost, thank you, Josh Joshua Jackson. Thank you for buying this for me. Um. And I, I played it like almost a month ago. Like I started it and I played it for about an hour. And I remember thinking, okay, I need to talk about this on the show. And I can't remember what happened where I ended up like subbing in a different game or like I had another game that was bigger or more that I had played more that I wanted to um, talk about. So what happened was, and this is like a situation I don't want, ever want anybody in, but I just kind of found myself in this situation, is that I played it for about an hour, like on, I think it was literally on the 30th of June, so it was like almost a month ago, and then I did not play it for three weeks, and that's not to say that it's a bad game, I just had other games that I was more interested in playing first. And I went back and because I was like, oh shit, I'm, we're talking about this on the show tomorrow. Like, I need to kind of give myself a refresher on it because if you play again for an hour and take three weeks off, like you kind of can't remember a lot of what's going on. So I played it for about an hour, about an hour and a half or so this morning before we recorded, just to kind of get myself back up on it. And so I, I just want to say sorry because like I'm probably going to get some details wrong. And if the uh, creator of this game, I think his name is Ralph something. Um, I follow him on Twitter, and I think he, like, is constantly on the prowl for tweets about the long dark. So, uh, hey, dude, if you're listening to the show, if you see me tweet about the podcast, you're listening to the show, I just want to say I'm sorry, because I know I'm going to get some of these details wrong, because I haven't played it in three weeks. But the game is about, it's like a first-person kind of survival sim narrative adventure game that... It's episodic. I think only two of the episodes are out right now. And whenever I had been hearing about this game coming out, because it came out a while ago, maybe like six months ago or so, maybe longer than that, um, I was always interested in it. But it came out and it was like 25 or $30. And I was like, well, like that seems a little pricey. I'll wait for a sale. And it seems like one of those games that like never, ever goes on sale. And I remember seeing Dan's uh, skimming Dan's review of it on, at Game Critics. And I remember him saying... Some things about it that just kind of turned me off about the game. Um, but nevertheless, I was still interested. It went on sale on Steam. Joshua Jackson bought it for me and I played it. And I have to say, the beginning of this game is very rough to get into from a technical standpoint because the point of the game is you're a dude, you're flying you and like your ex girlfriend across this like arctic tundra area i don't know exactly where you are and you crash your plane and it, and it starts like the game starts when you crash the plane you're on your own you don't know where the woman is that's with you and it basically like the opening tutorial is kind of like a you know like it throws you into the survival thing where it's like you have to gather sticks and stuff in the area you have to build a fire i mean luckily the guy who you're controlling like knows how to do all this stuff but wait wait, wait. at any point does your wife ever die and do you eat her uh, I mean, I haven't found... Uh, she's not your wife, first of all. And I haven't found her. Oh, your wife, her. sorry. I sorry. haven't found her yet, so I don't know, like, what's happening with the story. Oh, you don't all the crash way. together? You, you crash you together, crash but your... she's, like, gone when you wake up. Like, you pass oh, out during the crash okay, or something. Okay. Um, and okay. so, like, the beginning of the game is, like, you trying to find her. Like, you have to build your... The first thing is you build yourself a shelter. Um, you gather, like, uh, scraps of items from the plane in the area. You build a fire. And then, like, the next day, you kind of, like, set off to... Um, Like find her or like see if you could find her or something like that. And um, the beginning of the game is was really rough for me because like first of all I'm not the best like mouse and keyboard player to begin with. And luckily it's not like a shooter where you're like you know dodging and jumping and running and action and everything. But it has a few kind of tricky controls. Like there's a part where you have to build a fire and. Um, like depending on what materials you have, like this game is a little more survival-y than I thought it was going to be going in, which is fine because that's what kind of game it was. But it was just, I was like a little bit in the deep end and couldn't quite keep up, you know, staying afloat in it because you have a certain amount of materials you need to build a fire. Like you can pick up sticks in the area, you can break down larger tree limbs in the area. And every time you have to like break an item down or if you like um, salvage like cloth in the area, it takes a certain amount of time. I mean, it's only like... 10 seconds in game time, but like the in game time will pass. I don't know, like 37 minutes or something like that. And so there's like a day and night cycle. You have to keep an eye on your hunger, your thirst, your like weariness, which I think is like your tiredness and your temperature because you can get frostbite. You can die of hunger. You can die of thirst. I think if like two of those meters go all the way down. You're at risk of like immediate death for it. So you like get in a cave and you have to build a fire and depending on what materials you have, the fire might not even start. Like it gives you a percentage chance. Like if you have sticks and a lighter, you have like a 60% chance of it starting. And depending on what materials you use, that dictates how long the fire will burn. So you make the fire and you can keep adding sticks to it to make it burn longer. And once you have a fire that will last nine, I think it's nine hours, you can go to sleep next to the fire, but not if it's any less than nine hours. So there's, like, a lot of really technical things going on here where you have to, like, be constantly scavenging the surroundings for, like, sticks and for cloth and for wood and for, like, berries. And you pick up, like, a recycle, like, a can, like, an empty can at one point, And you have to, like, go into the inventory and, like, select the can and place it, like, on the rock next to the fire and then you have to click on the can and it gives you the option to fill it with snow and then you fill it with snow and then you wait for the snow to melt and then you wait for the water to boil and you can speed this up if you want to but you can also like go gather sticks and stuff while you're waiting for it to to boil if you have other stuff to do so it's like it's very like real technical survival stuff which is kind of like not super my bag but it's enough it's light enough for me to get into it but it's like Not super overwhelming, but it's just like the whole like can on the stone thing to melt the water. Like whenever I first was trying to figure out how to do that, I couldn't like it's you have to do a lot of steps just to get like the can on the stone and then fill it with snow and then let it uh, melt and then let it boil. And then you have to pick the can back up in a certain amount of time or else the water will boil away if you leave it on the stone next to the fire. And the same thing goes for meat. Like if you um, if you like salvage deer meat or something, you have to like. Uh, go in the inventory, select it, you have to place it on the stone next to the fire, you have to wait for it to like thaw and wait for it to, to cook, and then you have to pick it back up before it burns. And Oh dear, back. this sounds awfully awfully detail-oriented. It, it is, for me. it's very detail-oriented. And I feel like the beginning tutorial could have been a little bit better on getting someone like me into it who didn't necessarily know. And I keep, I've had this happen a couple times and it's my own stupidity here. But like when you go into, there's like a radial inventory menu and there's like a food part of it and you click on the food part and I'm like standing next to the fire. And whenever you're hovering over, say like the raw deer meat, the left mouse button is the eat button. The right mouse button is like the, Pay, like hold it out in front of you to like place it somewhere button and once you press the right mouse button you can place it on the rock well my dumb ass has accidentally eaten raw deer meat twice by pressing the left mouse button <laughs> and whenever you do that you get sick and you have to like eat certain berries or eat like fine antibiotics in the area and that's like one of those things that's just like a little bit too technical for me to like really um, get on board with But overall, I feel like I've been complaining a lot about this game or maybe just detailing it a lot, but I do like it so far, even though it's, I mean, it's basically just like a walking sim, but with a lot of technical survival elements. And there's like a, there's just a lot going on with it. Like even the clothing you're wearing, you have like every part of your body you can equip with a clothing item or two clothing items like For your hands, obviously, you can put gloves on or you can take them off. For your uh, mid, for your chest section, you can put, like, I think two layers of shirts on and a coat on. For your head, you can put a hat and a scarf or you can take them off. And I was, (laughs) like, playing it earlier and I was in the middle of this, like, snowy wilderness area. I'm fucking walking up a hill. This wolf comes out of nowhere and starts, like, mauling me as I'm walking up this hill with, like, no warning at all. And the game gives you the option of, like, stabbing it if you have some kind of like knife or like shiv or something, or I think you could like try to like wrestle it and run away or something like that. So I tried to stab it and you have to do this kind of like quick time event where you're like clicking the mouse a bunch of times. And I was able to stab it and the wolf ran away. But in the middle of the fight, the wolf like tore my pants and my leggings that i had on under them like my thermal <laughs> leggings so i was literally right now in the game i'm like walking around in this ar- arctic tundra with no pants on at all like i have my underwear on i have my socks oh my, my boots God. my hoodie that my coat that
0: is precious
1: yeah i love it's that it's so ridiculous my leggings tore and i'm <laughs> naked because <laughs> at first i thought like okay like they're ruined i'm still wearing them but they're torn and then you go into the inventory menu and it's literally like your character model standing there with like no pants on and just as underwear which Which is like, I wouldn't recommend running around in this tundra with no underwear on or with no no pants on. So, like, I, and then I get to a cabin and there's a workbench, and the, cause there's a lot of like crafting in this game, and you can like fix your clothes, but you need a sewing kit to fix your clothes. And I don't have a sewing kit and I don't know where to get one. So it's just, like, I I kind of, like, commend this game for going, like, really into, like, the weeds on the survival aspects. Because it could have been really mm-hmm. easy just to be, like, oh, press this one button to start a fire. but But really, sure. you have to, like... Sure. Pick where you put the fire. You have to select how to make it. If you want to use an accelerant, um, if you want to add more sticks to it, and, and there's just like so. Oh my god. There's a lot yeah. going on here, and I think it might be too technical for a lot of people. Corey, and, I'm
0: getting I'm getting tired just listening to you talk about this, dude. <laughs> I am getting exhausted. I I I need to take a nap now. I that's been a lot of work to get through this. I can't I can't do this.
1: Well, I mean, I I don't have like an official like. I love this game or I hate this game or whatever on it yet. I think it's good and I want to keep playing it and I'm interested in seeing where the story goes. Um, although I think only two episodes are out so far, but I, it's really pretty. It kind of has like a cartoony look to it, kind of like, a um, like a firewatch E look to it, um, where it's not like super realistic. It's a little more like cartoony, um, which yeah, I think is yeah. great. It's got a great visual style. Um, I just wish that it would like hold my hand a tiny bit more cuz I'm I don't have a map, I don't have a compass, like I'm not exactly sure where to go. It's kind of one of those games where you're like exploring the wilderness and like even though you're not on the right track or you're kind of clueless as to where you're going, like you kind of just sort of end up on the right track anyway. So maybe that's really good level design and I'm just not sensing it yet, but I kind of wish it would hold my hand just a tiny bit more but uh, but overall I like it so far. Um, I'm sure I'll talk about it more on the show whenever I play it a little bit more and maybe finish both the first episodes. Um, but so far it's fine. it's just a little it's a little too technical and it's a little too scary um, to get into, but once you kind of go in the deep end and get the hang of it, um, it's it's playable, I guess. Interesting. So a couple of
0: things spring to mind. I'm surprised to hear that it's not finished because I remember when Dan reviewed it, he talked about that it was only half the game or whatever. And I was I mean, I, I to be honest, I hadn't even considered that the game wouldn't be finished by now. So I mean, not 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 to say the games are easy to make or anything, but it's been a while. And I guess that was surprising to me. So I'm definitely not going to buy it. if It's not finished because I, I do not buy unfinished games. Uh, but also, this kind of raises a point that I've been thinking about lately, where I keep running into these games where I feel like the devs are wanting me to do too much work. And I don't mean to sound like I'm a lazy game player <laughs> or that I'm one of these millennials that needs his handheld and snowflake, et cetera, et cetera. But like, <laughs> I just I feel like with with the number of games that are available and everybody's busy lives, and if you're a grown up and just like, you know, like, it's it's hard sometimes to get inside the head of the developer where they have had this idea, this vision. They've been working on this for six months, a year, two years, whatever. They're really super, super familiar with their game. But that is not always the case with somebody coming into it from the outside. And I think that a real skill that is lacking, especially in the in the um, indie scene, is, like, you got to really onboard me better. Like, if you want to get me into your game, if you want me to really love what you're doing, like, you've got to help me get in. And, like, I... I know that some people are really up for that. Like, oh, just don't tell me anything. Let me figure it out for myself. I want to learn everything, you know, through my own experimentation. That's great if you're that person, but not everybody is that person. And in a game like this, and and other games recently I've played, I really just want them to give me more, like hold my hand longer, like, and maybe make it an option. You know, would you like, would you like the baby noob tutorial or would you like the hardcore (laughs) get good tutorial? Like, let me choose, right? Like I will pick, just please teach me your game. Let me know what's going on. And then once I understand it, then I can take the training wheels off and then I can spread my wings a little bit. But I'm finding, I mean, and I've never I have not played Long Dark, so I'm not I'm not cr- calling this game out specifically, but it, it sounds very much like this and other games have just been like I just I just don't have the time or the energy to really throw myself up against a game over and over and learn, you know, from the school of hard knocks and try to figure things out for myself. I mean, maybe I'm up for that sometimes, but like not in general. And if I'm not already on board with your game, I kind of generally don't want to do that. So if you have something that's good, like share with me. Let me know what you're doing. Like let me in, and then I'll appreciate it. And then once I'm ready to take the next step, I can do that. But I just I don't have a lot of patience for games that are kind of like demanding that I meet them where they are. I'm I'm much more about like meet me halfway. I mean it's more of a a journey between developer and player rather than I need to snap to and do whatever they want. And if it's 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 their way of the highway, then I guess I'm taking the highway, right? So like I don't know. This sounds like a lot to me. This sounds like a lot, like in caps, like a L a lot, because I don't think that I'm up for tilting a can of snow a certain way and <laughs> making sure that I don't accidentally eat the raw deer meat and like finding a sewing kit in the middle of a tundra. Like, uh, I mean, cool. Like if that's your thing, cool. But like, I'm I'm kind of glad I didn't buy it now because this sounds like something I would spend 20 minutes
1: on and then bail. So. Yeah, I like I, I mean I'm having a hard time with this game because I do like it even though it's a little too technical for me and I I don't know like it's I, I keep hoping I, I'm hoping it's one of those games that the more I play it the easier it will get as opposed to the more I play it the harder it will get because I haven't found any like weapons or anything yet and I know I think you can get like maybe like knives or guns at some point and you can, it'll make hunting easier. And then you'll kind of like have a steady supply of food if you can hunt more and stuff like that. So maybe once, but I mean, I've already been playing it for like two hours, so I'm definitely kind of like in it already, but I, I don't know. I, I like it and I'm going to keep playing it, but I could have done with like a little bit better of an intro to get into it. I hear you. I hear
0: you. All right. Well, keep us posted. I'm still kind of like vaguely interested. Um, I don't think I'm going to buy it. I think I will probably hold off. But I would like to hear, like, if you do decide to push forward, give us an update, shall you?
1: I will definitely do that.
0: Okay, cool. Let's move on. Uh, so, I last week, I went off on this tear about, like, shitty iOS games coming to the Switch, right? Like, I hate it. But if it's a good iOS game coming to the Switch, that's fine. So, <laughs> just bring the good ones, please. Uh, Not the bad ones. And I found a really, really good one. Um, It's called Bomber Crew. Really kind of a a weird generic name. The art is really generic and not at all appealing. I was going to give this one a total pass. But then uh, AJ Small, who is one of the writers at Game Critics, good guy. Um, We don't always line up in terms of taste, but sometimes we do. And he brought this one to my attention. He He went out of his way to request this so I reached out to the developer, the developer sent him a code. And I'm like, well, if he's interested, I should probably take a look at this. I mean, I saw it in the in the eShop store,
1: totally was like, whatever, and just kept on <laughs> rolling. Didn't stop on it at all. I'm having but flashbacks th- to West of Loathing right now, by the way.
0: Totally, totally. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I'm only human, dude. Like, you can't check out every single game. Like, you got to make a judgment. And sometimes appearances matter, right? So, like, this looked like the shittiest fucking iOS game, and I just totally passed it up. <laughs> but he really wanted to play it. So I got him the code. He's going to be reviewing it at Game Critics. And I'm like, well, shit, if he likes it, maybe I should take a look. And I got to say, I, I really like this game a lot. It's actually a very, very good game. So I'm very glad that he pointed this out to me. Um, so Bomber Crew, what is it about? You play as these little cartoon characters, um, and they are in the middle of World War II. You are in England, and you fly one of those giant flying fortress type World War II airplanes where it's like one of the really big ones and they have a bunch of bombs. They have the gun turret at the front. They've got the gun turret at the back. They've got the gun turret on top. You know the, the airplanes that I'm talking about? I think so. Okay, so if you're not a, a plane nut and I'm not myself a plane nut, but I know I know a little bit about these planes. They were actual real aircraft that were used in World War II. Uh, I believe they were called the flying fortresses and they were on the ally side. So you pilot one of these planes it's got enough room inside for like seven or eight crew member. There's a pilot, there's a navigator, there's a radio operator, there's an engineer, there's a front gunner there who doubles as the bomb dropper. There is the mid gunner, and then there's the tail gunner. So those are the people you have on your plane in little cartoon fashion. And so... I didn't really get what this game was at first, but once I clicked into it, I thought it was pretty cool. Graphics, very simple, very basic. Do not come to this game for the graphics. But what happens is once you take off, they will give you a mission and the mission will be like, oh, there's a a Nazi ammo dump over here. Go bomb this thing. Or, oh, there's tanks coming over here. Go bomb these guys or, you know, something along those lines. So it's actually like a simulator. So when you're flying the plane you have to manage all of your different crew members and every one of them has like a couple of different jobs. And so you're flying the plane, large plane. And so like some enemy fighters will show up. So the radio guy has to spot them. So you like kind of move the camera around and figure out where they're at. You have to tag them. So then your gunners can start shooting them because the gunners cannot shoot unless they know where the planes are at. The pilot has to make sure that you stay on course. And if you need to take some evasive maneuvers, the pilot does that. Uh, The nose gunner is either firing or like when you get close to your target, he's got a move position and like go down into the bomb bay where he can drop the bombs and he's got a little scope he can like uh, look at the ground with. So everybody's doing something different. There's also a number of things that can go wrong, like your plane can take damage. And so like your engineer will have to go and fix the the damage if possible. Like if the electrical goes out, he's got to go fix that. Or if their plane uh, engine catches fire, he can go out and fix that or like put the extinguishers on or something. So like everybody's got this fucking job and you're just kind of flying along. Like the, the camera stays on the plane the whole time and like all this different stuff will start attacking you. And it's just about jumping back and forth and making sure people are doing their jobs and keeping a lid and all this shit that can go wrong. So it, it ends up, it, it's very simple. And if you watch a video of it, it'll look completely boring, but it's actually in- incredibly intense and really gripping because you feel like, you're trying to work as a team and you want everybody to do their thing. And when shit goes wrong, like, for example, I got raked by a a German plane and it took my, um, my engineer out. He just died. And so I was like, Oh fuck, I lost the engineer. (laughs) So I can't fix anything now so then, other people can fix things, but they're not nearly as good. So like something like my, my engine caught fire and I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. So I got to take, what can I do? Okay. I'm going to take the radio guy off. He can go fix the engine while the engineer is dead. But then when the radio guy is not at the radio station, you can't see when uh, enemy planes are coming in. So like you're getting shot, but you don't know where they're coming from because no one is manning the radar. So then the pilot's like, oh, fuck, I got to do some evasive maneuvers. And then like, we're still getting shot. And then another guy goes down and I'm like, oh my God, like, what the fuck? I got to get out of here. Like, this is terrible. And all you guys are dying. And like, I mean, it just shit goes crazy. It just goes sideways so fast. But at the same time, if you manage this stuff, if you're like, okay, radio guy's got a beat on the incoming fighters. Gunners are on point, took those guys out, no problem. Coming close to the place where we're going to bomb, drop the bombs, got the target, boom, done, get out of here. Like, when all this shit goes right, you feel, like, fucking amazing. Like, it feels (laughs) like a smooth, well-oiled machine. Everybody's doing their job, everything's fine. Or, like, if somebody gets shot, somebody can go patch them up real quick, and that's really good, and, you know, you save that guy, you feel good, you save that guy. Because your guys get experience, too, and the more experience they have, the more options they have. So, like, your pilot gets better. Um, the guy who's on the the radar can do more things, like he can spot guys from further out, or he can call out guys quicker. Your gunners get special attacks where they can, like, focus fire, or they can shoot out incendiary bullets. So, like, it's important to keep your, your, your staff alive, because if you go back to having noobs, they don't have any of those powers, which makes it so much harder to, like, complete your missions, because you really want to have those abilities uh, with a seasoned crew. So, it really becomes this amazing, like, watching 10 things at once, jumping back and forth between everything, making sure everything's happening. And the game is really good about giving you cues and updates. Like if something goes on fire, you'll know it right away. If someone gets hurt, you'll know it right away. So they're not trying to like, they're not trying to sneak anything by you. Like it's very clear about, oh, this thing is, is broken. It needs to be fixed. This thing is in danger. You got to go fix this thing. So it's not about tricking you, but it's about juggling priorities. And at the same time, your plane is still flying. Like you can you can never just like, okay, pause. I mean, you can slow time down a little bit but shit is still happening. And so you got to be on top of that. It's really fucking intense, which is not at all what you would expect because the graphics super basic, super simple. Uh, the little characters are super cartoony. Um, when you're flying out a mission, like it's like, you know, blue water, a uh, flat green area for the ground. Like it's not visually impressive at all, but like once you are in the shit, you forget about all that. Like you were like, You were just, like, up to your fucking eyeballs managing the team and praying your guy's not going to get shot and trying to patch this guy up before you, you know, before the engine burns up. And, I mean, there's been times that I would come back from a mission. uh, Your plane has four engines. I will lose, like, two engines, and I lost my left landing gear, and I'm coming in, I'm like, oh, my God, I hope we can land. Holy shit. (laughs) And, like, you come down to your plane, like, skids on the ground, you, like, walk away, and you're like, oh, my God, I made it. Oh, that was amazing. Like, it was, like, you totally get a feel for your team. Like, you just get really attached to these guys or girls, whatever, you can have either way. And uh, it just, it comes together so well. Like this is a case of where the actual gameplay trumps everything else and they have it nailed down so well. There is so much going on. There is so much happening, so much you're doing at all times. It just, it just totally consumes you. And oh my God, like I just, I really, really, really have gotten into it. I've put like a ton of time into it over the last couple of days. And I just, I think it's great. I think it's really brilliant. It is not for everybody because it is very difficult uh, the Germans have no mercy and they will <laughs> rip your shit sideways if you are not on point. I've lost one plane so far. That was a huge tragedy. Uh, if that happens, you get a new plane, which is not quite as upgraded as your old plane, but you can still proceed. But then you got to like, you know, build your, your rookies up again. And I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that can go down. Like you can bail out. You can tell people to like put on their parachutes and jump out. You can do like an emergency landing. You can have like a little uh, raft on your boat. So if you guys uh, bail out over the water, they'll have a little survival raft. I mean, there's fire extinguishers and first aid kits and parachutes you can stock inside and that really matters i mean what kind of plating you have on your plane it's it's way more of a sim than you would think because it looks like this shitty shitty cartoony ios game (laughs) but it's actually amazing it is fucking amazing i love this game it's hard as balls it is very hard and it's not the kind of thing that you want to just like marathon i think i started out pretty hot and heavy the first couple days and now i'm kind of doing like maybe two or three missions a night before bed uh because it can get a little repetitive. You need to earn money to upgrade your plane. And some of the missions repeat, but it kind of doesn't matter because it's so intense when you're playing. Like it's just moment to moment to moment to moment. Like you're, you're never really on autopilot when you're doing this. Like you were constantly engaged. And it's been quite a while since I've had a game where I like, I need to be 100% like awake and I need to be like, my reflexes need to be going, have a cup of coffee before I play this because... (laughs) Man, it can go from like successful mission to complete flaming clusterfuck in a heartbeat and you got to be like on top of that. And it just it really made me think about what it must have been like for these guys during World War II. I mean, this is a real plane, these are real missions these guys are doing, this is real systems. I mean, you know, gamified somewhat, but the thought of like being in that for real, it's very easy to imagine and it's very easy to imagine if you were over Germany dropping bombs, somebody shoots like your pilot, you're, "Oh my god, what are we going to do? We got to do something now." Like when that panic sets in, I mean, that was shit that people actually went through in World War II. So that's pretty amazing. And that kind of adds a new level to it for me. But aside from that, I just think it's a really, really amazing simulation, extremely gripping, extremely in depth, very tense. I mean, I would never have expected that from this game, but I love this game. It's very, very, um, it is very my shit. It is very my shit. And I really appreciate it. So Playing it on the Switch right now, it is also on PC. It is also on Xbox, PS4. It is also on iOS. Uh, this game is basically everywhere. Uh, check it out. If anything
1: I've said sounds remotely interesting. Corey, thoughts? This sounds like the very grown-up version of Lovers in a Dangerous Spacetime. Yes, it
0: is. Yes, yes, yes. That same feeling of like, oh, my God, get over here. Get on the turret. No, get on the shield. Oh, get over here. Like that shit. <laughs> totally like times 10 dude times
1: 10 i have a hard enough time playing i like lovers in a dangerous space time i think it's a really well done game but i have a hard enough time playing that even with patrick we've done co-op before on it so i don't think i would last like 10 seconds with this game
0: oh yeah i mean yeah if you like lovers of dangerous space time the same idea of manning the stations fending off multiple threats many priorities all at the same time not generally my thing, but this game really fucking pulls it off, and I just love the feeling of like being in that plane, and being on these missions, and like you gotta just like have all your shit nailed down. Like it just really like keys me up in a way that I don't usually like, but it really really works in this game. So I'm I'm really a big fan. I'm, I'm liking this a lot. But um, definitely allow yourself a couple of missions of fucking things up because the controls are quite complicated. There's much more going on than you would think. There's tons of options that you wouldn't realize. Very, very, very sim-like, um, but pretty amazing. I'm I'm really kind of in love with this game right now. Really yeah. digging it. So big thumbs up to Bomber Crew. Don't be put off by the dumb name or the dumb graphics. Get into this <laughs> if it sounds like your thing. So thumbs up to that. Uh, we have a couple of uh, quick things to run through. Uh, you think we got time to run through these, Corey?
1: Uh, yeah, sure.
0: Really, really briefly, um, I want to give a quick... In a preview sense, um, mentioned to Earhart, Tales of Broken Wings. So again, preview sense. This is not a review. This is not an actual final decision on anything. This is basically you play a girl who has a plane in a world that is made up of floating islands and you fish to earn resources. I thought this was going to be kind of a story heavy game, but it's actually 100% not. You basically just like fly out and grind fish and bring those things back and try to build a better plane systemically seems kind of interesting but there's not nearly as much story as i was expecting i don't know that i'm going to put much more time into it so if you don't hear me talk about it again don't be surprised but that is Earhart, tales of broken wings in a preview sense i also in a preview sense want to talk about dead cells have you heard of dead cells Corey? i've only seen you talk about it
1: on twitter and that's it so far
0: So I think this was Kickstarted. I'm pretty sure it was a Kickstarter game. It came out on PC a while ago. I want to say at least a year or so ago. I heard an intense wave of fan adoration for this game. This game was the shit when it came out. I I just like endless praise, endless praise, endless praise. And then it kind of vanished for a while. It's about to come out on Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and it is already out on PC Um, So I tried it on PS4, and again, this is in a preview sense, not a review, not a final thoughts, but I was totally blown away by this. I thought it was amazing. Um, It's a 2D Castlevania-ish-like game where you play as, I guess you are the titular Dead Cells. You're kind of like a little blob of stuff, and you can take over dead bodies, and you have different weapons that you equip and there's some roguelike elements. And basically you start off in the bottom dungeon of a castle and you want to make your way to the top in a single run in true roguelike fashion. The graphics are great, really pixely, but they have a a very unique style, which I really like a lot. Colors are very strong. Um, A lot of cool writing. There's really funny writing. Um, There's a lot of neat weapons you can equip. And you can unlock stuff as you go. Um, I've got to really put a lot of time into this when it hits the Switch. That's where I want to play this because I really think the Switch is my roguelike machine. So (laughs) I didn't put very much time into it on the PS4 because I knew I just wouldn't want to sit there. That's not the kind of thing I want to play on PS4. Like, I want to play something bigger on PS4. And I'm not saying that in negative. I just roguelike and Switch is where I'm at right now. So I pre-ordered this for the Switch. Uh, Pre-orders are still open. But I was very, very impressed by what I saw. Very much looking forward to playing this. Uh, for realsies. So heads up on Dead Cells. In a preview sense, seems pretty fucking amazing. (laughs) And I am contractually obligated to mention City of Brass, which I must mention now. Um, This is a game which is a roguelike where you play as a guy infiltrating an Arabian city full of genies and dead people, and you're collecting treasure. First person, you have a sword in one hand a whip in the other. You go through and avoid traps and collect treasure. This is put out by people who worked on Bioshock 1 and 2 so there is a pedigree behind this game. Uh, Also, before this, they put out Submerged. Do you remember Submerged? Corey, did you play that, or did we talk about it? I don't remember this. It's a game where you play a girl who's in a canoe in a city that is flooded, and you, like, paddle your boat around and climb the towers and look for medicine and try to heal your brother. Ring a bell, No. No. Yeah, it's fine. It sucked. That game sucked. So (laughs) I didn't realize it was from the same developers. I'm not the biggest fan of City of Brass. Witty, my son, loves it, which is cool. But for me, it really lacks a lot of personality. Like I think mechanically it's okay, but I don't know who my main character is. I don't really know what his story is. There's not a lot of personality. Like you're just going through room after room of traps and you're whipping skeletons and you're collecting treasure, but there's not a lot of purpose to it. And I really think that a stronger character and a little bit more story element would really help this game go a long way. But right now it feels very generic, very mechanics oriented, and I'm just not really feeling it. Like there's a billion other games that kind of do the same thing and do it better. So, I mean, I guess it's okay. Like there's nothing really wrong with it, but it just is really boring. Like it just, it just doesn't have that spark that really grabs you and drags you in. So City of Brass is, is not bad, but it's not great either. And I really wish there was a stronger stronger narrative hook to it but uh anyway so there you go three quick takes two in a preview sense and one uh kind of i don't know half-hearted dismissal of city of brass and uh (laughs) i think that kind of wraps it up for the show you got anything else you want to talk about before we uh, bring it on home
1: uh i don't think so i don't think so
0: all right cool 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 well this has been kind of an epic episode uh but this is now the end of the show um hope you've enjoyed it Uh, In the meantime, please remember, you can send your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else, please send them to us, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com when the show goes up there. You can also reach us on Twitter as a collective show, at SoVideoGames, but more so, you can reach each of us individually on Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y,
1: same for my Instagram handle, Corey. Where can people find you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, my username is the same on both. And surprise, surprise, it is my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 90 of So
0: Video Games. We'll be back next week with another installment. And just heads up, we do have pretty substantial banter. And if you are a fan of my son, he's got some game reviews and some game recommendations at the very end of the show
1: after the banter. So heads up on that. But in the meantime, this is goodbye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week.
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yeah, so happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Wait, it is Saturday, right? It It is is Saturday, (laughs) yeah. In that zone where, like, I'm working and busy and, like, you look up and you're like, God, what fucking day is it? Like, you don't even know what day
1: it is, you know? Yeah, my Saturdays always feel weird, too, because I only work part-time at the office. So on Fridays, usually what I do is, and I didn't do this yesterday, but most weekends I leave work at, like, between 1230 and 1 and I get home... And I, because I know it's Friday and I can like stay up as late as I want and do whatever I want, like a big kid, then I will just take like a really long nap in the afternoon. So I'll sleep from like, I don't know, like two to five or three to six or something. And then I'll just like get up and maybe like eat dinner or do whatever I want to do and stay up really late. So... Like the second half of my Friday ends up kind of feeling like a Saturday because I like slept through half the day. And then when a Saturday rolls around, it sometimes feels like Sunday and I have a hard time keeping my days straight. That sounds
0: marvelous, my wife and I used to do that before uh witty arrived, and we can't do that anymore, but <laughs> those were the days, dude. like we would totally like go to work and then we'd come home, take like a really like long ass nap and then stay up. I mean, you know, back in those days, we would eat dinner at like one or two in the morning and like stay up until like five <laughs> and then I mean shit, dude, that was some good times back then, but uh yeah, that doesn't fly when you've got a uh, a kid in the house, so we have gotten rid of that but i i i am living my best life vicariously
1: through you because that sounds amazing yes and that's reason reason one of like 652 of why i never want children because i like to live my life on my own terms and i i can barely i mean first of all i can barely like take care of myself so how am i supposed to take care of like a young <laughs> child but i <laughs> i'm too like selfish to sacrifice my wants to have a child so there's that
0: well, you know, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that you're aware of that. Although, I mean, I I would say that I, you know, we've hung out before in the past. You've got a pretty good, like, kind of a dad vibe going. Like, I know you don't believe it, but, like, watching you <laughs> interact with Wade before, I could, see some, I could see some potential there. But I hear you also, and I think it's very cool, and I also respect that you are, like, introspective and honest with yourself enough to think that maybe that's not something you want to do. Because, like, I don't think anybody should be a parent unless they really, really want to be a parent. Like, I, I meet these people who, like, Like, I swear to God, one of my friends um, had kids because her mom was pressuring her into it because she wanted grandchildren. And I'm like, dude, that is 1000% like the worst fucking reason to have a kid. (laughs) I mean, shit like that or shit like you have an oopsie or, you know, just like whatever. I mean, if you're not down, if you are not 100% like this is the next stage of my life, don't fucking do it. So like anybody who like says, nah, not for me or you know, I don't want to give up, you know, XYZ or I have a certain lifestyle or whatever. That's great. Like, I totally support that because the only thing that happens when you have a kid when you don't actually want one is that the kid gets upset and turns out poorly. You get upset and you turn out poorly and it's a bad scene for everybody. So we've got enough people in the world. We don't need to, like, we're no, like, you know, uh, extinction level crisis. Like, we do not need more humans at the (laughs) moment. We're covered on that. So, like, I hope that people would only have kids when they really really want them so respect to you for for knowing your boundaries and knowing where you're at and anybody else listening like if you feel that's not your jam roll with that don't feel guilty don't let your in-laws or whatever guilt you in having kids and don't feel like you need to keep up with the joneses joneses and just just you know you do you and then everything will turn out fine so i i support
1: your decision to remain child free well thank you that Certainly means a lot, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) I know you were probably not
0: right on the precipice of, you know, having kids. But, you know, I I hear a lot of people who feel like that pressure, you know, like they feel pressure or they feel like they just do it because. And whenever I I see somebody say that, it just drives me bonkers. Like, oh, yeah, we got married and, eh," you know, like they they don't really even seem like really like they're that in love with their partner. And then they just kind of are like rolling through life because that's what you do. And then they end up, you know, buying a house or working some dumb job and then after a while they're like, yeah, I guess I should have a kid, I suppose, like, because they have no other plan and it's like, ah, worse. That is the worst. You were going to be the worst parent. Your kid is going to grow up and have all sorts of issues. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. So.
1: Yeah, I think about that sometimes if like, you know, given my circumstances, I'm like a gay man. So obviously having children for me is much like more difficult. And there's there's a lot more variables involved um, to having a child as a gay man. But I think often about like, if I had grown up and been and maybe I've said this on the show before, but if I had grown up and been just like a regular straight white dude, you know, with you know, regular parents, because my family was pretty, like, nuclear growing up, except for the fact that my brother and I are both gay. Like, if we had both been straight, like, I'm almost Wait, 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 your brother's gay also? Yeah, my brother's also gay. I totally did not know that. I thought he was straight this whole time. Oh, no, he is five years older than me. He is also gay, but fun fact, I came out before he did, so. Oh,
0: man. Oh, dude, there's, like, all sorts of stories here. I had no idea. I... This whole time I thought he was totally like your straight brother. So we never, okay, okay. So that's, there's lots to unpack there. I really want to get into that. We're going to be talking about this in a moment, folks. Hold tight. So go ahead, Well, I mean,
1: basically what I just wanted to say was like, if I had grown up and and been like straight and, and, you know, like a straight dude, I, considering I'm like almost 30, I probably would have been married whenever I was like. I don't know, like 22 at the latest, 23, and I probably would be on like my second or third child already, but because like I'm gay and like circumstances are a little bit different, I, you know, didn't get married until I was 29, and um, I definitely have like no plans for children in the future, so it's just weird how like that kind of little thing can diverge from like a normal, I guess like nuclear timeline, if you will interesting yeah no, know I totally get that for sure but let's circle back to this brother thing because I this
0: whole <laughs> you left that out this whole time I would have remembered this so what was that like I mean I guess uh, like starting from square one like did you guys each know did you I mean if you came out first was were you his inspiration for coming out afterwards like what is I mean you said you were not really too close these days right like you don't you don't talk that much I think
1: Uh, yeah, we don't really talk very much. I mean, my brother and I kind of live in a scenario where like we, we don't dislike each other at all. Um, but we just don't really talk very much and he still lives in the Kansas city area. So, I mean, he's like halfway across the country for me at this point. I mean, the rest of my family is, they're all kind of in that like Kansas city-ish area. Um, but like the, the weird thing is that, um, like, I guess, uh, like I okay, so whenever I was growing up, like I think I sort of like knew that I was gay. Whenever I was probably like maybe like thirteen or fourteen, like in that uh, maybe like twelve, like somewhere in that like preteen to early teen um, uh, like age range. And my brother is five years older than me. So he is, you know, I mean, su- substantially older than me, in my opinion, I know that there's like a big range of, you know, sibling, uh, age gaps out there, but I feel like five years is pretty big. Like, that's a pretty that, big
0: gap. That's a pretty big gap. Yeah.
1: And it's big enough to where like, he and I didn't go, like we were never in high school together at the same time. So that's like another thing too. Cause I know a lot of siblings that, you know, went to high school together or they were in middle school together, but he and I were completely phased out of every like zone of school together. And the interesting thing, well, maybe, I don't know if it's interesting, I don't want to qualify, um, my family is interesting, but he, uh, like, my mom, like, always, like, kind of, sort of knew that he was gay, like, and she, at one point, had had, like, a talk with him about, like, hey, you know, like, it's fine, like, if you, you know, I don't I don't know what she said, because I wasn't there for it, but I, I believe she's told me before that she kind of had, like, a, hey, like, if, you, you know, if... You feel like gay or whatever. Like you, I mean, you should probably said it more delicately than that. But like it's, <laughs> but like it's fine. You know, like we still love you. Blah blah blah. All that right, stuff because right, my parents right, are really right. supportive and everything. That's amazing. And he, okay, yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, that is amazing. Like I'm very grateful for my family. But um, but he kind of like kept denying it, denying it, and my mom had no idea that I was gay. So, um, whenever I was in high school, my first year, I came out to my mom whenever I was 15. Um, I was a freshman in high school and I was hanging out with a bunch of like one, basically like one dude. And then like a group of women that were all sophomores. And we would just like, you know, do like teenage things together. We would go to the mall. We would hang out at people's houses. Like they would drive us around everywhere. Cause, uh, me and the other guy that uh, we hung out with didn't have our licenses and everything. So, you know, they would pick us up for school sometimes and that kind of stuff. And I remember like wanting to go to like a sleepover at this girl's house, you know, cause they were like planning like this fun, like sleepover thing or, you know, summer party or whatever it was. And I remember asking my mom like about like, oh, you know, I want to go to this thing. And she was very like, you know, as any parent would be, she was very hesitant, you know, like, well, I don't really think I want you to go to this like party with all these girls. And then she like asked me, she was like, well, what? She was like, well, why do you like want to go to this party with all these girls? And I basically like it was probably like 3 p.m. in my living room, just the two of us sitting there. And I just, like, blurted out to her. I was like, because I'm gay. And, like, (laughs) it was, like, I mean, it was not, like, the most, um, like, delicate way of coming out. Sure, sure. But I had known for a while, and I had only told, like, one or two people. Like, my best friend Sarah from high school, like, she was the first person I told. And she had known for, like, about half of our freshman year of high school. And then uh, it was, like, it was in, like, May. So it was, like, right at the end of high school, or right at the end of uh, my freshman year of high school when I told my mom, it was like springtime. And, and so my mom was like, definitely went through this kind of like period of being shocked because she had like kind of known that my brother was gay and had kind of like poked around at it with him, but he had denied it. And my brother and I had very different high school experiences too, because my brother was kind of like, he was, um, I don't know how to say this delicately, but my brother whenever he was in high school, I think he was bullied a lot because he was kind of feminine. And and my brother's not even like super feminine, like he's not, you know, like I don't know, like whenever you think of like a stereotypical like depiction of like a really feminine gay guy on TV, like he's not even really that feminine. But I think my brother got trapped in this cycle in high school of getting bullied. But I also think that he was a huge bitch in high school too. So I think that like, (laughs) I think that it kind of like they kind of like fed into each other. Like he was really mean to a lot of people, and then he was bullied a lot too. I can't confirm that because I didn't go to high school with him. But just like, you know, just just things that you pick up on. So, so whenever like he graduated high school, he had no intention of going to college or anything like that. He didn't want to forward his education because he hated his school experience. He like hated everybody he went to high school with. He only had like a couple of close friends in high school. Oh my God. That sounds exactly um, like my high school experience, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like literally so, uh, word for word. <laughs> so that, I mean, that's kind of how he went. And whenever he was 18, he like moved out um, to Kansas city. He had this big like night where he, he and my mom right. kind of went over like his budget together. Cause he had been working since he was 16. He and I both basically right after we turned 16, like we got jobs, we had been working part time and he had been working, had gone full-time after he graduated, so he and my mom, like, budgeted and figured out if he could really afford to move out, and he moved out basically when he was 18, like, right after he graduated, had no intention of forwarding his education, doing community college, doing a university, doing any, doing technical trade school, anything like that, and still to this day hasn't, and I mean, that's fine, because, like, now, I mean, he's the, I think he's the co-manager of a retail store in Kansas City, so, I mean, he's definitely successful, and he's, like, you know, living life on his own terms. And I'm, I'm proud of like him for what he's done. But uh, my mom had kind of like a shock period where she like knew that he was gay. And then when I came out, it was very unexpected for her. So she, she sort of had this period where it was like, oh my God, both my, like both of my only children are gay. Like I'm not going to have grandchildren. What am I going to do? And it was like a period of, you know, shock for her for a few weeks. But of course, you know, she was always supportive and came around. But I remember feeling sort of a little while feeling kind of like a like a, kind of like a, like I was in a zoo or something. Like I was suddenly this like foreign entity in my own family for like mm-hmm. a week or two, because like my mom just like wouldn't look at me the same way. And my brother wouldn't either for like a week. And then it passed and it was fine. But it was just like this short period of it being very strange, like all of a sudden, like I was a different person because I had come out, even though I wasn't a different person at all um, but my brother, the other thing about me and my brother is that he and i don't know if he would deny this or if he would ever own up to it, but for some reason, he really like has resented me my entire life because he thinks that I'm like the golden child of the family. And I, and my, my parents had always been very fair between the two of us. And like, I went to college and he didn't. And, but he had every opportunity to go. Like if he would have wanted to go to college, my parents would have treated him the exact same way that they treated me. Like, you know, my parents helped me pay off my student loans. Like they took on like half the student loans and I took on the other half or something like that. And so they would have done the exact same thing for him. And like, whenever I was done with my freshman year of college, um, the car that I had at the time, which was like 10 years old or so, like 12 years old, um, like the transmission went out in it and it was really shitty. So my parents, is kind of like a, you know, like a graduation slash going to college present. They bought me a brand new car, which was fucking awesome. Like, I feel very privileged and very grateful that they bought me um, a brand new car at the time. It was in 2008. And, but then like my mom co-signed on my brother on on like a car loan or she took on a car loan to get him a brand new car and so it was like kind of like a similar situation but he's always like had this weird like resentful grudge against me and i don't know like it's just one of those things at this point where like i don't think we can ever solve it like we would never sit down and be like oh, like, why, why have you resented me my entire life? Like, it's just not really like a conversation that I'm interested in exploring, but it's just this weird, like dynamic between he and I, where even though he is successful in his own way, he like thinks that like my parents like me more and that I was more successful and that I'm like the better child. And I don't, I don't really know how he came to be, to feel this way about me. Um, but that's sort of like the dynamic between us. And that plays into a little bit about why we don't like talk to each other as much. And even though I try to like meet him in the middle ground sometimes, cause like for a long time, I didn't drink, I didn't start drinking alcohol until I was like 23. And my brother's like drinks a lot, like to say the least. And so like one year when I lived in Omaha, they came out to visit me for Christmas, which was like mind blowing to me because like they, my, my mom and brother came to Omaha. I should clarify. And cause I was the one that always went home to see them and like getting my mom to like travel is like pulling teeth. So it was like awesome. that They came to see me and I had like lined up some like cool, like burger and beer places that we could go to. Cause I thought my brother would like that. So even when I like try to meet him halfway on like, taking him to, like, cool, like, bars or something, like, it's never, like, the right kind of place for him to want to go to, so he ended up, like, kind of complaining his way through that entire Christmas trip, which was kind of uh, unfortunate, so I, it's just, like, I, he's one of those people that I just can't please, even if I try to meet him halfway, and I, I don't, I don't think it's anything we'll ever solve, nor is it anything that i think either of us is like interested in pursuing to solve cuz we're just kind of living our own lives at this point but that was a huge huge nutshell of my coming out experience and my brother being gay and my family dynamic and all that stuff
0: that is super fascinating um and just so people um i'll have a little peek behind the curtain um what we were scheduled to talk about was cat videos so we actually kind of differed a little bit. This is this is super fascinating, and I'm glad that we talked about this. And we, we will get to the cat videos. Um, <laughs> but, like, hearing you tell your story, like, obviously, I'm straight and you're gay. So that part of the story is different. But hearing about the relationship between you and your brother, I'm hearing, like, a lot of parallels um, with me and my mm. own brother. I've, I've, I've talked about my brother in the show before, haven't I? Have, or have I v- Very briefly, yes. Okay. So, like, just to kind of share a little bit since you shared so much. And thank you for that. That was very honest and genuine <laughs> and fascinating, fascinating stuff. Oh, thank you. Uh, nothing is as fascinating to me as hearing about human relationships. so um, <laughs> so my brother and I we were best friends growing up. Uh, I'm four years older than him. so four years I mean not as much as five, but still a pretty sizable gap because I would be you know older and taller and I would be in different parts of school and the friend hang out, dynamic would be different. Like we would be playing different games than he would be. And he would tag along for most of that. that was fine. Like it worked out pretty well for most of our lives. But yeah, I mean, definitely we were, you know, I was doing things that he just wasn't ready to do just because of the simple fact that I was, you know, that much older. So I'm guessing probably some of that was happening with you guys too. But um, it was like when I turned 18, like again, I worked, I started working like when I was 16, kind of like you guys. And I moved out when I was 18 uh, because I just couldn't fucking stand living at home anymore because my parents were just like, ugh. We just do not get along. They were, they were people that, like, had no vision, didn't know how to support you. If you had a dream, they would squash it really quickly. And they were, like, really encouraging mm-hmm. me to find some, like, soulless 9 to 5 and just, like, piss my life away because that's what they did. And so every time I would try to, like, float this idea, like, oh, I want to be an artist or, oh, I want to be, um, I don't know, a cab driver or, like, whatever, whatever crazy thing I came up with, rather than supporting it, they would, like, immediately, like, shit on it. And it was really, like, emotionally damaging for, like, a long time. So once I got out, something really turned with me and my brother. I think, I mean, honestly, this sounds kind of weird to say, and this is just my theory. We've never really um, confirmed this because my brother and I are not on speaking terms anymore. We haven't spoken in probably several, several years. I mean, probably at least nine or 10 years. We haven't talked to each other, like not even once. Um, But I think that he kind of, he kind of thought that I had like all these privileges. I mean, I'm kind of hearing a little bit of that kind of like with you and your brother and your story, um, but not exactly the same thing. But like, You know, I would, you know, I got a job and I had money. And then at that point I had a girlfriend and then I moved out pretty quickly. And I think he just, he felt like I abandoned him. I think that's really my my theory on this is that when I was moving on, you know, again, four years older, when I was getting ready to move out, get a real job, go out and get an apartment and like start moving on with like adult life, he was still, you know, 14, which is not nearly old enough to do any of that stuff. (laughs) And I think that he just something he just felt like I really abandoned him for some reason. And I mean, I mean, understandable in certain ways because we were so close and best friends for so long and spent so much time together. But at the same time, you know, I mean, he would have to understand that like I would be growing up and that I would be spending more time with my girlfriend at that point and etc. cetera, et cetera. But I just, I just don't think he really processed it and just never really came to grips with it. And so ever since then, things were kind of shaky and he kind of like started having trouble in school started having trouble with relationships, like with other, people not romantic, but just like with other people. And he just seemed to kind of like start behaving really badly, which really kind of puzzled me. And I wasn't clued into that at the time. Like I was kind of just living my own life. I was 18. I'm not anybody's therapist. I was just doing my thing. And I just noticed that these issues were popping up. Um, And it kind of just escalated from there. Like I got a job and then I started, you know, learning to, you know, manage money, which is something my mom and dad never taught me. So I was really doing my best to try to like, you know, hang on my money and be wise with that stuff. A work in progress, not perfect, but you know, I started to work on it and you know, just me having a car and me going out and doing things. He just got, I mean, it just seemed like he got really jealous, like, cause he was still living at home. He didn't really have a lot going on and he didn't really seem to have a plan or anything. And so I think he just kind of got kind of bitter. And when we would come and hang out, like it just wasn't the same. Like we, we had like less and less to talk about because I'd be like, oh, I bought this thing. And he'd be like, well, I'm broke. Oh, I went to go and I did this. Oh, I saw this concert. Well, I can't go anywhere because I don't have a car. Oh, well, me and my girlfriend did this thing. and It was really super fun. Well, I'm still single, you know, like, and it's just like, we just like had less and less to talk about. And it just, it became just kind of a thing. Like, it just wasn't even like a healthy difference. It was just like kind of a bitter difference. And, you know, you can't do that for other people. Like, they got to do it for themselves. Like, you can't just gift somebody a life, you know, that doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, a number of years goes by and it just got worse and worse and worse. And I just it never really recovered. I mean, he eventually found a girlfriend and had a kid and got a job and stuff. But like, I just don't think he ever really got past that feeling of, you know, perhaps me abandoning him or or, or him feeling like he wasn't as successful as me or whatever Um, and we just had never been friends since then. It's never healed. It's never gotten better. Um, and like, kind of like you, like neither one of us is really wanting to work on it or, (laughs) or improve it. We had, we had kind of like a big kind of falling out at the very end where he said some really hurtful stuff that I felt like, you know, you can be mad. You can have a fight with somebody, but there's a certain line that you don't cross. Like, you don't, you don't like fight dirty when, when you're mad. Like, you, you know, there's a certain decorum that you must adhere to if you ever want to remain friends with somebody and I feel like he kind of jumped over that line for me, and, I mean, I'll put up with, like, a lot, dude, like, I'm a good friend, if you are my friend, I will be loyal to you, like, basically forever, unless I feel like you have broken that loyalty, like, if you've done something, if you me stabbing the back, like, that's it, like, I don't tolerate that shit, and I feel like he kind of crossed the line, so after that line was crossed, we haven't talked, haven't seen each other, and has just been really, like, estranged, and Every once in a while, my mom will email me. And I don't have a great relationship with her either. But she's like, oh, what are you and your brother going to make up? And It's been such a long oh time. And I'm like, fuck off, mom. There's no way that's <laughs> happening. You can just drop that shit right now.
1: Stop talking about it. So basically, yeah, families are weird, huh? They are weird. I'd like to piggyback off your mom comment. I feel like my mom, like, she she's kind of, like, aware of the situation with my brother and I, and she's not, like, in crisis about it or anything, but I have a feeling that she, like, every once in a while will think about, like, the... And this is going to sound extra grim, and I don't mean it to, but there's really no other way to put this. I think that she has, um, like, thoughts every once in a while about, like, feeling sad that she will die, and that, like, my brother and I will not have, like, become, like, friends, if you will, or, like, have really, like, maintained our relationship well, and I think that she feels guilty, or I don't know if it's guilty, but she just feels like, like, she she did her best to, like, try to, like, bring us up evenly and together and, like, nurture us in the same ways, and she and my dad absolutely did, like, they didn't do anything wrong as far as raising us, like, they didn't give one of us more than the other, but I think that she kind of has this mark eternally where she just will never understand why, like, like, oh, we raised them both the same way, you know, there were, they had pretty similar childhoods, and then, you know, maybe once they hit their teenage years, it kind of diverged a little bit, but I think that she sometimes is concerned that she's going to be, like, dead and we're not and my brother and I would like not have like a super successful relationship and I think that bothers her sometimes but I hope that at this point maybe she's like over it a little more but I certainly can't dictate the way that she feels about things but that's something that weighs on her I guess.
0: I mean it makes sense I mean I I'm sure that's how my mom feels you know she's emailed me multiple times and she wants me and my brother to get back together because it would just make her feel better for whatever reason. Um, and I blame her. I say it's fully your fault that we're not talking, mom. So I hope that you I hope that you have, No, 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 <laughs> oh just, just kidding. I don't say that. <laughs> just a joke. People don't email me. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I understand that. And, you know, as a parent myself, and I actually have two kids, I mean, if my you know, it's a little bit different now because my oldest is in Hawaii and my youngest is with me. So that's kind of already like a weird dynamic. But I mean, if they you know, if they grew up like having a really shitty relationship, I'm sure that I would probably feel I don't know that I would feel responsible, but I would feel like, you know, I would feel bad about it. I mean, you know, as a parent or just as a family member, like you want the rest of your family to get along. I mean, I think it's a pretty natural kind of thing. But I mean, kind of along those same lines, the thing that I think about is that my mom is getting older and she's not like in the best health. I mean, she's not terrible. She's not on life support or anything, but you know, she's not in the best health. And I I just, you know, I mean, people don't live forever. She's gonna die one day, as we all will, and I just I just, I'm, I'm trying to like run the scenario in my head of like me getting a call sometime and being like, oh, Mr. Galloway, I'm calling from the you know mm-hmm. police department or coroner's office and your mother has passed away. And like, so like, so that, but that's not really what I'm even worried about. What I'm worried about is like, I feel like at some point in the future, like it's almost inevitable that I will bump into my brother again, because if nothing else, when my mom's affairs have to be settled Or, you know, like anything along those lines, like who's going to pay for this funeral? And then I show up to the funeral home and he shows up to the funeral home. And then we like stare at each other awkwardly across the lobby. And like, I don't imagine that it would be friendly. Like, I don't think that either one of us would be glad to see the other one there. And that's kind of like something that hangs over my head because we haven't talked about it. We haven't processed this at all. I don't think we want to. I think we both right now are kind of feeling like the other person's an asshole. Um, and (laughs) I just, I kind of dread that moment, dude. Like, I'm just kind of like, what would I even say? And I, and when I think about it in my head, I literally can't come up with anything. Like, I can't think of any way to approach this because honestly, and this, I mean, maybe this will sound dicky, but if you knew the falling out that we had, you would understand why I feel this way. Like, I feel like the only way this is ever going to work for me is if the next time I see him, if he's totally like super apologetic and like owns his asshole behavior, which I don't think that he'll do. And in fact, I think he's probably expecting the same thing of me. He probably expects me to apologize. They own my asshole behavior. Um, you know, I think he was the jerk. He, he probably thinks I was the jerk um, when we fell out. So I, I'm sure we're going to like, you know, we're like staying in the funeral home, looking at each other, each one expecting the other one. You going to say something? You going to say something? I'm not going to say You going to say something? I'm not going to say something. <laughs> and then we're just going to like flip each other off and leave or, or get into a fist fight or something, you know? Like I don't, even, I don't even know, Corey. And that's the thing that bothers me the most. I'm just I'm dreading that, that moment. I don't know what that's going to be like. Hmm,
1: yeah, I don't, mm. I'm glad that, not to sound harsh, but I'm glad that my brother and I have not had, like, a falling out scenario like you have. Because, like, if one of my parents passes away, my brother and I are 100, 1,000%, perhaps, capable of being totally civil. Like, we don't dislike each other. So I think that should that scenario happen, like, we'll be fine sort of, like, getting through the financial stuff and the funeral stuff and you know the whatever my parents leave in their wills if they even I don't even know if they have wills um so surely uh, that won't be a problem for us but um I do uh wish you the best in your future whenever <laughs> that scenario should happen
0: I will I'm, I will be sure to update you here on so video games when that scenario goes down we will do a whole <laughs> we will do a whole banter section about it uh, but count that as a blessing, dude, because if you don't have that on your plate, that's amazing. I wish I didn't have it on my plate, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, all right, enough deep introspection. Let's talk about some cat videos, because that was actually what we're supposed to talk about. So, uh, moving on from the death of our parents, cat videos. Corey, cat
1: videos. What's up with cat videos? So, okay, you might recall that last August I had a tweet with a cat video go viral on Twitter. Viral, so
0: viral. Yes, I do remember. It was your cat. It's like your cat was somehow creeping up on your lap or so. like It was like your cat didn't think you knew what was going down, but you knew and you were filming it and cats don't know how, what filming is. And so it kept... Yeah,
1: I remember, this, I remember this video, dude. Yes, yeah. It was my cat, Bowser, one of my two cats, climbing into my lap very slowly, taking a full like minute and a half just to get in my lap. And luckily, my phone was there. I filmed it. Um, I posted on Twitter as I post a lot of cat stuff on Twitter, uh, never really expecting it to go anywhere. But... I posted it, and um, it uh, it basically blew up on Twitter. And this was like almost a year ago. Uh, it ha- I think I checked it yesterday because the the story I'm going to tell is related to it. Um, I, yesterday, whenever I checked, I think it's sitting at like thirty thousand favorites and twenty thousand retweets. Wow, so it's, like, that's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, like, uh, I mean, you're like been podcasting with a famous person this whole time and didn't even know. I know. Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, So the weird thing is that and I think I talked about this before whenever I uh, talked about this last year, whenever this happened on the show, Um, like the day after the tweet blew up, um, I had a media licensing company call and email me and they were like, Uh, they were like, oh, you know, we're a media licensing company. We saw your video. We would like to license it, and we can, like, negotiate. They basically, like, you license the video with them, and then they, like, negotiate if, like, um, if, like, a company wants to pay to use it in an ad or, like, something like that. Like, they kind of do the negotiations on your behalf. I didn't even know this kind of thing existed, but it makes perfect sense with how many, like, silly viral videos are out there on the Internet. And so I thought, okay, sure, whatever. Like, they're the only people that reached out. Like, sure, I'll license it. So it didn't cost me anything. I just, like, uploaded the video to them. I filled out, like, a few paragraphs of info about me and about Bowser and just kind of, like, about the situation. And, you know, totally didn't expect anything to come of it. And nothing did come of it. Like, you know, for about a week or two, I checked on, because I had, like, a login and password for the page for the company. And it would have like the payment info on it. And of course, like nothing came up because I was like, okay, this is like a minute and 40 seconds video. Like, who the fuck's gonna license this for like something? Like, you know, nobody's gonna wanna sit at their computer and watch this like in an ad or something dumb for, for, uh, you know, for like almost two minutes. So, you know, it's it's a time that I look back fondly on my life, but I'm humble and <laughs> realistic enough to know that like I wasn't gonna get like you know a million dollar deal with somebody for this stupid sure. cat video. Sure, sure, sure. So yesterday I'm at work. And wait, wait, an wait! wait. Email... Did you get a million fucking dollars? No, 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 no. Because I because um, I could I could borrow a few if you got some. No, I, if I do, I will give you some. Okay, cool. Sure. All right, but, okay. go on, um, go on. Sorry. So I'm sitting at my desk at work, and an email pops up on my phone, and it's from the media company, and the let me see if I can find it the headline of the email because I was kind of I don't know nervous when I saw it um the email just says uh you just got paid with an exclamation park congrats from juke and media and that's the name of the company and I was like oh god so I go to the site and I'm thinking like I'm kind of joking with myself out loud in my office thinking like all right, all right. Like, I bet it's like 25 cents. Maybe it's like 80 cents. Maybe, maybe $2 if I'm really lucky. Like, it probably ran a single ad on YouTube or something, and I got like five cents per video or something like that. Cause this kind of like residual thing is totally. really small and stupid. Totally, totally. So I log in, and it turns out that the UK uh, news site, the Daily Mail, had licensed the video. I don't I still don't know what it's for because I looked at the website and I didn't I didn't see it, so I don't know if they're like prepping it for some kind of story or if they're going to like use it for ads. I really don't know how they're using it. But they paid to license the video and I got one hundred and forty nine dollars from them. Yeah. From them buying the video. I know that's not like, you know, a million dollars or anything, but I was expecting like a dollar or two and I was like, whoa, like one hundred and forty nine dollars. So like that's kind of a nice little thing. It took a year for that to happen. But I finally made a little bit of money off that stupid cat video.
0: That's amazing. I mean, one hundred fifty bucks when you're talking about like these days in terms like you said, like residuals and stuff like that for like Online, I mean, TV is different, like a lot much more money there, but for online internet stuff, pennies, dude, pennies. So yeah. for you to get 150 bucks, that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I was pretty, uh, pretty excited. And of course, the first thing I thought about was like, ooh, maybe I can put this money toward getting a Nintendo Switch. And I did not, and I have not yet, but. I'm thinking about it because the credit card that I use, I know we've talked about my credit card situation on the yep, show before. Yep, the yep, the yep. credit card that I use um, like, has like credit card rewards where you spend whatever and you get like a percentage back. Well, I have right now, I have about $180 on in rewards that I can basically just put into my checking account for my credit card from using it. And now I have like $150 from the, uh, from the media licensing thing. So like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, maybe next week when I get paid, maybe I'll go get a switch, but I'm still undecided on it. But I mean, it's like, we're talking about like almost 300, like 300 ish free dollars. there, a little bit more than that from using my credit card and from getting this dumb cat video license. So that's like a switch and then some, so who knows, maybe I'll pick one up soon. You should
0: go for it, dude. The switch is fucking hot right now. I, um, I'm loving my Switch. Like, I know that I started off being kind of okay on it, and it's kind of gotten warmer and warmer, and I I love it now. Like, I mean, I don't know that I would say it is my system of choice, but it almost kind of is by default, just because I'm so busy. I've been extremely pleased with it, dude, and I'm playing it, like, a ton. So, if you bought one, I think that would in no way be a bad move. I think that would be totally acceptable and appropriate.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I've said on the show before, I know it's one of those things that I'm going to get eventually. I just don't know exactly when it'll happen. Um, But it's definitely something that I want to get in the future. And, you know, worst comes to worst, maybe it'll be like a Christmas thing or something like later this year for me. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, uh, that's definitely nice getting 149 free dollars in the mail for taking a two minute video of your cat climbing into your lap. It's better than getting a kick in the junk. I'll tell you that much. Mm, I got a cat on my junk and one hundred and forty nine dollars <laughs> out of it. Win win, <laughs> best of both worlds.
0: <laughs> all right, dude, I got some stuff lined up, but you had one more. You, the Emma Guns podcast was on the agenda today. What is that all about?
1: Le, do you want to like do some tennis ball bouncing and we can come back to this so you can talk about some stuff first? No, it's not important. You, by the you way, do your thing first because, because no, no, do your thing first, and then I'll run through my stuff real quick, and then we'll bring it on to a close. Um, okay, okay, this, this I was, just wanted to. Go for it. Uh, Mention the, I've been listening to, so I've talked about on the show before that I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts, but I've been listening to, there's a show, and this is going to be like way out of left field, you know, based on some of the content that we talk about normally on the show, but I'm listening to a podcast called The Emma Guns Show, and it's ran by a woman in the UK. Her name is, her real name is Emma Gunna Wardner. And she goes by Emma Guns because her last name is long and ridiculous. Is this like and a porno
0: thing? Because it sounds like a porno thing.
1: It is not a porno thing. Okay. Um, the checking. She has, I mean, for better or for worse, she has a great voice. So she could probably perhaps make it into a porno thing, but I don't think <laughs> that's really her, her intention <laughs> with the show. Uh, basically, her podcast is about, um, like, she has a lot of, like, skincare and beauty professionals on the show, which is, like, not so... I know every once in a while on the show, I talk about how, like, I wear makeup sometimes, but... Um, I'm really, I'm also really into skincare, which is like not, I mean, skincare is not makeup, but it's still like helping your face and your skin. And she has a lot of skincare professionals on and she has some, like a few YouTubers that I watch. Like there's a couple of sisters, um, Sam and Nick Chapman who do, uh, makeup videos on the internet. And they're like two like British women and they're really like posh and fancy and they're like actual makeup artists. Like they've, you know, done like real They've been trained and are real makeup artists. They aren't just some, like, 16-year-old in their bedroom who's playing around with makeup. Like, they're actual, um, like, trained artists. And she had them on the show. She's had um, a couple of other skincare professionals. Like, there's a woman named uh, Nadine Baggett and Caroline Hirons, who she's had on the show. And I've been listening to it. Um, and overall, I mean, I doubt there's a lot of crossover with the people that listen to the show, with the people that would like want to listen to a podcast about like skincare and stuff. But she talks about some of the, She has like lifestyle, quote unquote, guests on to every once in a while where they talk about like, you know, about like stress and about mental health or about like dieting and stuff like that. So it's more than just like having people on and talking about like the your like face or whatever. Um but something that I wanted to point out that I, that's also kind of a complaint about the show, and I, I think I like already know what you'll think about this, but I just kind of want to like run it past you. But it's something that really annoys me about her show. And maybe I should just like leave a review on iTunes for her so that way she can know this or something, but I can't really be bothered to like actually act on it that much. But something that annoys me about her show, and I know other podcasts that do this too, and I think it's annoying every fucking time I listen to a podcast that does this, whenever you start one of her shows... She literally takes like six minutes at the beginning of every show to talk about what her and her guest are gonna talk about on the show. She does a pre talk about the talk, yeah, and like I would much rather just like get to listen the talk to the <laughs> show like i like literally every time I open one of her shows, I just hit like the fifteen second fast forward button over and over and over again until. The show starts, and I know, like, every once in a while, I used to listen to the Nerdist podcast with Chris Hardwick, who is a... um uh, who's in deep shit right now, but we're not going to go there. Um, but he did the same thing on his podcast. He would, like, I mean, he had, like, some sponsor notes at the beginning, which he's probably, like, obligated to talk about those first because it's people that, like, pay him to sure, on the podcast. Sure, yeah, that's a different thing, sure. Yeah, but, like, he did the same thing, too. Like, he would talk about, like, oh, I had, like, Samuel L. Jackson on or whatever. And then he would, like, talk about what they talked about on the show. And I'm like, what is this trend in podcasting? Like, who who turns on a podcast and wants to listen to the host – talk to themselves about what them and their guests talked about on the show instead of just listening to them and their guests fucking talk about what they're talking about. Like, why is this a thing? It's so fucking annoying to me. Well, if it's
0: like, I mean, I guess it depends on the scope because I've, I've heard some podcasts and I've seen some TV talk shows Where like you start to show and they're like, okay so coming up, we talked about tiny homes and we talk about hamburgers and we talk about beer coming up next. (laughs) And they tell you like, you know, to give you like kind of a heads up. So like if it's maybe a topic you don't give a shit about, you can, you know, nope out. But I mean, I I don't want to hear somebody talk about like get into the discussion. I mean, just tell me quickly, ABC, one, two, three. What are you going to talk about? And then get to it. Like, don't
1: don't spend time talking about what you're going to talk. Just get to the talking. And also, like, that's what the fucking show notes are for, so that people can (laughs) know who the guest is. And if you're really cool, like some podcasters- I agree, You can put some motherfucking timestamps in your show notes, because some people are cool enough to do that, so they can jump right to what they want to listen to, um... Yeah, I don't, I'm not here for this trend of let's talk, like, could you imagine if we opened every show and we're like, oh, Brad, what are we going to talk about today? Let's spend five minutes talking about an overview of the games we're going to talk about, and then let's start talking about the games. Like, who has time for that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I,
0: I really like that we have a lean opening, we get right to it, and that's exactly why we moved all the banter to the back end, because, I mean, when I listen to a podcast, I want to get right to it. Do not tell me about your fucking weather. Oh, weather, dude. <laughs> I just just a tangent for a little bit. So many podcasts I listen to, they literally spend time talking about the fucking weather when I listen. Like, number 1, I am not where you are. Number two, by the time I'm listening to this, it is not that weather anymore. I don't fucking care what your weather is. And it makes you sound old and dumb and like, why are you talking about If I'm listening to a podcast about games, I want to hear about games. I don't want to hear about weather. Weather is the fucking <laughs> hotness right now in podcasting circles. And I don't fucking understand. Oh, it's really hot today. Yeah, it's really hot today, too. Yeah, but it's it's real hot here. Yeah, but it's humid heat over here. Yeah, no, it's, it's hot, right? I'm sweating. It's totally, dude. It's, it's real hot. Fuck off. I don't care if it's hot. Talk about the... <laughs> goddamn games dude like what the? anyway that that's my pet peeve i mean your thing sounds annoying i fucking hate the weather so between the two of us we're just miserable podcast
1: listeners i guess uh either that or the people we're listening to are miserable podcast hosts that's what i'm going with here <laughs> all right all
0: right all right let's uh let's roll on um quick question uh just before we get to the stuff did you get that final sent you with winnie's reviews on it Oh, shit. I
1: haven't even looked for it. Let me check. No the, worries. No worries. Heads up. I was I'm gonna sure ta- it's there. I just haven't looked.
0: All right. I was going to tell people to listen for it when we get to the actual opening of the show, but I'll make sure you get it first. I'll talk about my shit first, though, as you're looking. Um, so we kind of went on a journey today in today's banter. Um, that was really good and interesting and fun. Just to wrap it up, I did have a couple movies I wanted to talk about. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't be so video games without talking about at least one TV or movie. <laughs> um, I'm really, really excited about this. I'm really excited. So, okay, backing up a little bit. In 1991, before I graduated high school, I we had HBO at that time, and I saw a movie called Cast a Deadly Spell. Have you ever heard of it? I know you haven't.
1: I have not. This was also, I was like three or four years old at this point, so keep that Probably
0: in mind. explains why you haven't heard of it. Okay, that's totally fine. You're excused. Uh, but nobody's, <laughs> heard, nobody's heard of this movie. Uh, it starred Fred Ward. Do you know who Fred Ward is from back in the 80s and 90s? no if you saw his face i bet you would probably recognize him he was a very prolific actor but he was never like an a-lister he was always like i mean like a c C c-lister at best but he was in a lot of films that i really liked he was a great great actor great leading man but never like you know never achieved like tom cruise quality or something he was always just like oh that guy what's that oh that guy i've seen that guy like he's that one of those guys um (laughs) but i love fred ward and julianne moore is in this also and there's a whole bunch of of those character actors that you you I guarantee you would recognize all of them but you don't know any of their names but they're all people that you would probably recognize. So at this time I was really reading a lot of books, I was doing a lot of art, I was reading comics and all that kind of stuff and Cast a Deadly Spell was an HBO original movie. And this was the first time in my life that I can ever recall Coming across a piece of media that dealt with urban fantasy, which is the genre that I eventually went on to write two books in because I love it. And urban fantasy is like when you take a real world setting and then you add just like a little bit of a supernatural or a little bit of horror or something into it to kind of, you know, it's like real world plus monsters or real world plus magic or something like that. So it's a very relatable, familiar setting. It's not like some kind of weird you know, elves and trolls, and it's just, it's like real world plus, so that's really, it kind of blew my mind when I saw this, because this was the very first time I had ever seen something like that in that genre, and this movie uh, is basically about, it's set in the, I want to say it's like the 30s in the film, and it's about a detective in Los Angeles, I think it's Los Angeles, where... Everything is normal, except everybody uses magic. So like, there's still a police department. There's still people in their shitty jobs every day. There's still stuff going on, but everybody can also use magic. And so that was like totally mind-blowing to me at the time. And this movie takes a lot from Lovecraft. Uh, This was also, I think, probably the first time that I encountered anything to do with H.P. Lovecraft, which also became uh, something that I really enjoyed quite a bit. And I, I remembered really loving this movie at the time. And then I wanted to go back and watch it, but I could never find it. It was never on DVD. It was never available for rent in a video store. Streaming wasn't available at that time. And all, you know, like number of years go by. Every time I'd go into like a, a DVD store or like a movie store or some kind of vintage store or anything like that, I would always look for this movie. I would always be like, oh, you guys got a copy? And like nobody ever had it. Um, I think it just came too soon. Like they hadn't really set up the channels for like sending things straight to DVD or they hadn't really had any place to, put them online because it just wasn't a thing yet. So... I was in, uh, when I was in LA, I went to a movie store, a vintage movie store. And I'm like, Oh, do you have this movie? And they're like, no, but it's on Amazon. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And I like, I ran home and like, sure enough, it was totally available on Amazon prime. And I'm like, Oh my God. I couldn't believe it. I started freaking out and like dancing in a little circle. So I grabbed the wife and we sat down and we downloaded it and we watched it. And Oh my God, dude, it was just as good as I remember. It totally held up. It was still super entertaining really love that film a lot. Now, it's not a perfect film. There were a few parts that were really slow. And there was one really super unfortunate instance of homophobia, which I don't remember at the time because I was really young. But now that I watched it again, it really stuck out to me, which was not cool. Um, and 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 related, that is actually so true of so many movies from the 80s and 90s. I don't know if you've ever gone back to watch any of that stuff or if you have any fondness for any of that stuff. But whenever I go back to like an old classic or something, oh my God, it's really cringeworthy when I see something and they call somebody... <laughs> you know, they, they they bust out some kind of obviously homophobic or like racist thing that didn't seem like a big deal back then, but it seems like a really big deal now. So that's, that's not good. But anyway, apart from that, still held up. I mean, I think Fred Ward did a great job. Still love the story. Still was totally in love with magic being intertwined with like kind of a gumshoe detective noir sort of thing and the Lovecraft elements that were in it. Oh, I just love this movie. I mean, I I would totally recommend it to anybody who likes urban fantasy and, um, you know, it's a little dated of course, but I think it's really great. And I don't think I've really seen a lot that's like it. So if anybody's really interested in what got me into urban fantasy or what was really inspirational to me, this is where it all started. This is the film that really set me off down that track. And I'm so thankful that I got the chance to see it. I, I literally never thought I would ever see it again because it just never seemed to be around. So I'm glad, glad, glad I got the chance to see it. It's on Amazon prime. I think it's free if you have Prime. Uh, If not, it's probably something like a $2 rental
1: or something. It's not a big deal. So there you go. Love that one. I've been scanning, skimming it on IMDb on my phone while you've been talking about it. And do you know who directed it? I do not. It is, this name might not mean anything to you, but Martin Campbell directed it.
0: Does that sound
1: familiar? No. Well, he directed the best James Bond movie, Casino Royale.
0: Oh, interesting. So
1: this movie was in good hands. He also directed GoldenEye, which was Pierce Brosnan's first Ah. uh, James Bond movie.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I did not. I was not familiar with that guy, but I did notice that the producer was Gail Ann Hurd, who went on to produce um, The Walking Dead. She went on to produce, I think, Terminator. She went on to. And she's like probably one of the most powerful, most well-known female director uh, producers in Hollywood. And I was like, oh, my God, that totally makes sense that I love this movie because I love most of her work. So, I mean, that's that was that was a great little uh, discovery as well, because, you know, back then I didn't know shit about directors and producers or anything. <laughs> so anyway, love that movie. I love it, love it, love it. Um, also, just really quickly, uh, I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp a couple weeks or two weeks ago. Good film. Um, not much to say. I mean, it's basically it's Ant-Man teams up with the Wasp if you like Ant-Man, it's the same kind of lightweight, um, not too serious, gets real big, gets real small, lots of bugs, you know? I mean, it's just, I, I appreciate that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has kind of a go-to, kind of like, I don't want to say it's a straight-up comedy, but kind of a more on the comedy side franchise, because, you know, there's there's a time and a place for grim and dark, and then there's a time and a place to laugh, and I think the Marvel Universe does it both, and they do both well, and Ant-Man is by far the the laugh, the laugh franchise, and that's totally fine, I like that a lot. I think um, the actors did a great job. And this was the first time that any Marvel movie has had a female hero in the title, which was great. Love seeing that. And I think that, um, I think Evangeline Lilly is the Wasp, did a great job. Cool to see him team up. Just a fun movie. I mean, I just, I, it's just nothing to say about it, except for it was really good, really solid, really fun. I mean, it didn't like, you know, change my perspective on the human condition, but I think that's not <laughs> what I went to it for. went to it to see people getting really small, people getting really big. I went to see some ants. I got all those things. I mean, I was happy. So if you like the first Ant-Man, you will absolutely like the second one. I think it's another solid, solid addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Give it a big thumbs up. And that's it. I had a couple more things to talk about. I'm going to save that for future. I think we should probably move on to part two, which for listeners will be part one. Uh, Before we wrap that, did you find that file? Was it up there?
1: yes i have it
0: okay cool so if you've listened this far um if i can convince cory to get to add this little part we have a bonus episode <laughs> from my son whitaker uh, reviewing a couple of games and just kind of like saying some funny comments and stuff so if you haven't gotten sick of our bullshit by now you want a little bit more bullshit you can hear my son's bullshit coming up and then that will be the true end of the episode but for now we should probably talk about some games what do you think
1: Corey? i would love to talk about some games let's talk about some games
0: Podcast. Uh, a while ago, frequent listeners might remember that my son Whitaker came on and gave us a brief game review, and we got some pretty good response from that. We've been trying to have uh, Witty back on the show, but scheduling has been surprisingly difficult considering the fact that he lives here in the house with me. So, in lieu of having him on the show in real time, I've taken uh, a few moments uh, right before bedtime to sit him down in front of the microphone, and we are going to get one more review in here and as well. We are going to answer a listener question from before. So, Witty, uh, son of mine, what game would you like to review today?
2: All right. Today I will be reviewing the City of Brass.
0: C- city of Brass? What's, what system are you playing that on? PS4. And can you tell us really briefly what it's about?
2: So it's a roguelike game where you go into this Arabian city... And you want to find a bunch of treasure, and you get that, and there's, like, genies that you can buy stuff from. And the point of the game is to get to the middle of the kingdom and set, like, all the skeletons free. There are skeletons that have been cursed.
0: So is it first person, third person, or what is it like?
2: It's first person, and you have a whip and a sword.
0: Okay, cool. And so, like, you just run around, and then, uh, like, tell us about what do you do. Like, what does it play like?
2: Okay, what does it play like? um? Well, there you cannot double jump, which I do like double jumps, but sometimes you just don't need that. Um, The whip usually can stun people.
0: Okay, so then you stun them with a the whip, and then what? Mm-hmm.
2: So the head is a stun, the foot is you knock them down, and if you hit them in the hand, you disarm them.
0: Oh, okay, so you can hit skeletons in different places with a whip, and it has different effects then.
2: Yes, it has different effects. And then the sword... Well, about some people, sometimes it takes three hits. Some one, some two, it depends. And then there are gatekeepers.
0: What is a gatekeeper?
2: A gatekeeper is well, a guard of a key, um, to the next to the next area. When you kill when you kill that guy, then you get the key and you get to move on. Follow. There's an arrow on the top of your screen. Follow that arrow, and you can go to the next room it should be a giant golden gate
0: okay cool so you go through in first person collect treasure talk to genies kill skeletons uh destroy the gatekeeper and move on and the goal is to get to the center of the city sounds good so what do you like about it why do you like that game
2: um i like it because there's a lot of like slicing skeletons and stuff and i really like slicing skeletons you
0: do slicing skeletons (laughs) Uh, yeah
2: it depends on what type though um as long as it's not like the super fast ones, which there is a super fast one. Yeah. And it kind of sucks because he runs really fast.
0: So what do you like about slicing skeletons? Why is that fun?
2: Uh, It's cool slicing someone. You're like the only one there and no one's like trying to steal your kills. And it really <laughs> sucks when people do that.
0: You don't want anybody stealing your skeleton kills?
2: <laughs> no. Although it is pretty fun like sneaking up on them and slicing them. One time I actually jumped down from it and stabbed them in the head.
0: Okay, so listen. You're nine years old, correct?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, would you recommend this game to other kids your age? Do you think it would be too scary for them, or do you think it would be okay? And and do you think it's scary?
2: Uh, I don't think it's too scary, but sometimes when you're not when you're not looking, someone will like slice you in the back, and you're not looking, and like there's a skeleton with no arms, and he looks pretty freaky. And sometimes he'll like run at you, which is why you try to whip him in the feet before he does that.
0: Yeah, skeletons with no arms always a drag. Okay, good. Cool. So so out of like, out of ten, if ten was, like, a perfect game and one was, like, a garbage game, what number would you give City of Brass?
2: I'd probably give it, like, six and a half.
0: Six and a half, like, right in the middle, so kind of like a so-so? Yeah,
2: so, like, about, so. Uh, actually, no, seven and a half.
0: Seven and a half. Is there anything you don't like about it?
2: Oh, it's a roguelike. You get killed, you go all the way back, and I hate that.
0: Uh, okay. And
2: you don't keep your stuff, which is really sucky. But there are some good things. That's about it of the bad things. Oh, I forgot one thing about the good. Okay, what's that? The good thing was you can get mods like extra health, more damage, enemies' attack rate are slower. It's definitely good.
0: But you lose all those when you die, right?
2: Yeah, you lose all those when Well, actually, no, you keep your stuff the next run. Oh, um, okay. Those mods. You keep the mods, but you lose all your money and your genie stuff that you bought. This just sucks.
0: Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Well, that sounds like a pretty good game. Thank you for reviewing that. Now, before we um, end the segment here, one of our listeners, um, a million years ago, his name is Michael London. And I'm pretty sure he's over in Sweden. Uh, nice guy. He asked if you would give us some recommendations uh, for games that he could, uh, that would be appropriate for kids. So you're a kid, you play games. Uh, what games do you think that you would say uh, that you recommend or that you think would be good for other kids? Oh. Um, <laughs>
2: I have a few games. Let's okay. read them off. So, the first one, if you like physics and launching into space to other planets, it's Kerbal Space Program is your jam. Okay. Although you can crash and it uses actual aerodynamics, physics, and stuff like
0: that. It's pretty tough. So, maybe yeah. you want to have like a grown up with you to play that Probably one. Probably a grown yeah. up to
2: play that one in the beginning, but once you play a certain amount of time and you. And even the tutorials aren't enough.
0: Yeah, those tutorials are pretty weak. So, maybe you're going to need like some YouTube help or something.
2: Yeah, and it glitches a little bit, but that. But once you get used to it, it gets better. What's next? Now we're on to, I wonder if you heard this, it's Minecraft.
0: Have you heard of Minecraft? Have you guys ever heard of Minecraft? I think that maybe you have. <laughs> yeah. I think we can skip the explanation. I think everyone knows Minecraft. What else are you playing these days?
2: Uh, also Fortnite. I'm guessing you also know that because that is very popular.
0: Fortnite. Now, is that the Battle Royale mode or are you playing the PvE mode?
2: Uh, usually the Battle Royale.
0: And what do you like about that? Why would you recommend that to another kid? Um.
2: I recommend that because if you like sneaking up on other players and if you like playing like PvP games and you like fighting a hundred people out of one, then you'll like that one unless you want the 50v50 50 50 mode where 50 people are on your team. Depends.
0: Okay. So you got choices. What's next on the list? couple more here.
2: Um, next one is Titanfall 1 and Titanfall 2. I'm guessing you've heard of that one, but if you don't, I'm going to explain it.
0: Give a brief explanation. Sure.
2: It is about people with well it's about like battles with giant mech suits and you shoot each other and like try and kill each other and it's basically fortnite but with a score and no storm
0: so basically the same thing except for no storm and mech suits so
2: no storm mech suits and less Luches.
0: and what is the last last chess? what is the last uh, thing on your your list
2: I'm I, if you play old school games, like on the 3DS, then I'm guessing you've heard of Kirby.
0: You like Kirby games?
2: Yes, Kirby is really good. There are tons of games. I can't list them all because I forget some of them.
0: No, you played Kirby's Epic Yarn, and then you played a couple of the newer ones on Switch,
2: right? Yeah, I like the Kirby Plant Robobot. That's
0: which, a good one. Which
2: you are Kirby, which is a giant, like, pink marshmallow yeah and you run around and you kill this guy and you knock out this guy from the screen and you take his mech suit and you get and you get like little powers but as you start out you punch people with like little extending punchers
0: always good so let me ask you a quick question we're going to wrap it up so i'm a big kirby fan i know you like kirby too Mm -hmm. but kirby you just described him as a big pink marshmallow do you think kirby is a boy is he a girl or is he something else
2: i'd probably say uh, i'd say he's both
0: so just kind of in the middle, maybe?
2: Yeah, probably in the middle. All right, cool. You can't really tell because it doesn't really show his gender at all. <laughs> does not or...
0: have, have any Kirby junk down below?
2: <laughs> Dad, seriously? <laughs> no. um, No, it just looks like you're in the middle.
0: Okay, so that's a pretty fair answer. Kirby's in the middle. Sound no, like, like
2: a... things standing out or anything.
0: Sounds like a good place for Kirby to be. All right, Winnie, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I will add this to the... Uh, uh, next episode. Hopefully, Corey will get that integrated, and we will send you out to the fans. Any final words?
2: Um, if... Uh, hang on. I'm trying to think of something. oh well, I guess that's it. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Alright, thanks for being on the show, Winnie. Alright, Bye.
2: Bye. <laughs>